Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. Oh. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 67 of the big show, the Christmas edition of the Fourth Line Voice. Some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Yeah, a couple more days. Big man coming down the chimney. Everybody done their shopping. So I think we have, like I said before, I think we have Amazon. I think Amazon even came in my last episode, the doorbell rang. I think they've been showing up at our door every nine minutes. But uh, hope everybody's going to have a, hope everybody has a Merry Christmas out there. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. I think you, I think you guys will really dig it. Today's guest, Pete Vandermeer. Legend, third all time in the American Hockey League in penalty minutes. Pete tells some great stories. I know <clears throat> Pete's done a few shows. I mean, you know, he's done Spit and he did Alex Show and uh, and everything. And um, <clears throat> so I wanted to, uh, you know, do something a little different. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, you know how we do it around here, right? I mean, he still covered his whole career and stuff, but uh, yeah, I just talked about different uh, teammates and and stuff like that. So it was a little little different spin and. Uh, I think you guys will dig it. I had a lot of fun talking to Pete. And, uh, yeah, other than that, like I said, episode 67, so please go back and check out the back catalog. Um, my uh, Every Wednesday is an uh, interview episode. And then uh, Sundays are, what do we call it, our uh, general musings and uh, potpourri show. Or I say throw it against the wall and see what sticks show. And uh, those are all, you know... Those could go any number of directions. I start ranting about stuff, but uh, <clears throat> no, other than that, player player interviews. Um, yeah, John Morasti, Steve McIntyre, Joey Tenerenko, on and on. Uh, like I said, check out the back catalog. I think uh, you'll find something to listen to. Um, like I said, on the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, forty other shows. Every NHL team is represented. So uh, whatever uh, team you're a fan of. Uh, you know, check it out. They're on the network. Uh, those guys, <clears throat> you know, the season's starting up here in January. I mean, those guys will be busy throwing content at you. And, of course, the World Juniors right around the corner. And, uh, uh, yeah, so they'll be busy. And, of course, there's, uh, uh, like myself and Terry Ryan and Brad Lieb, um, sort of the, um, I don't know, how do they word it, original content um, on the ep- on the network. And uh, so definitely check those shows out. Just got uh, Terry's book in the mail here, so looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, other than that, and then my off off uh, network friends, of course, Alec over at Five for Fighting. Um, he just had uh, Frank Littlejohn on. Uh, great episodes. Great to see Alec back um, after taking a break. Actually, <clears throat> as you're listening to, no, I guess it'll be tomorrow. <clears throat> I think Alec's getting married here coming up this weekend. Um, so congratulations to him and uh, and his lovely wife. Well, soon to be wife. And, uh, you know, I know they've had a lot of trials and tribulations with everything going on and stop and start and with the wedding and, 
um, you know, and of course with the COVID and moving and yeah, it's a hectic time over there. So uh, down in Florida, so uh, you know, wishing them the best. Um, of course, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles just released an interview with uh, old time WHA player at NHL Kevin Devine. <clears throat> which I'm about three quarters of the way through. I was listening to the truck today. Um, very enjoyable listen. A little different view. I mean, how many times do you get to talk to a guy playing the WHA? So that was pretty cool. <clears throat> really enjoying that. Joe always does a good job, you know, and really thorough. And, uh, yeah, so that, it's been fun to listen to. And, um, and of course, then uh, Dan, Paul, and Kelly over at the Obey the Puck show. And uh, Fred and Dave, the Slewfoot show. Uh, you know, like I always say, a couple uh, couple current shows that I listen to to keep me updated, keep me on top of things. I got to keep up with you guys. You know, you want you want to talk all that new current stuff. I don't want to get left behind. No, I'm so far I'm so far behind. I've been lapped, <laughs> but I do enjoy their shows. And uh, yeah, and, oh, and then if you want something different. I always say, kind of heavy metal and, and hockey fights seem to go together. So, uh, naturally, Nick over at the Metal Antiquities show, um, you know, I, well, I always say I can appreciate what Nick's doing, uh, kind of doing a, a, a deep dive, uh, much like, you know, I try to do over at this show, talk about maybe pl- minor league guys or junior players that some people, a lot of people don't know about, try to, you know, or try to get, uh, a, you know, kind of a, kind of an offbeat story or something, um, with where it comes to hockey, well, Nick does that with uh, with me, with uh, music, heavy metal music. So uh, yeah, so there's always something going on over there. So definitely check that out if you're uh, in, into that rock and roll type of music. But uh, other than that, guys, I'm not going to talk too long. Like I said, we got I got Pete here. He does a great job, and we uh, we go for a while. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, hope everybody out there has a happy and safe Christmas. I know it's a little little different this year, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's been, been a different year. So uh, <clears throat> let's make the best of it, stay safe, and, uh, yeah, um, I know a lot of people, you know, smartly are probably taking breaks from podcasting over the holidays, but <clears throat> um, with the restrictions and stuff here, I mean, we're really not doing anything, so kind of just hanging out. So Sunday, what is Sunday, the 27th, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll be here. I'll be dropping something for you guys. I'll probably take a look at the uh, world junior, the history of the world junior rosters, and the toughness that's uh, gone through that tournament, and uh, you know, and just some kind of year in review stuff. And uh, you know, who knows? We'll see. We'll see where it, uh, taking out, looking out the window takes me. Uh, maybe I'll have to tell you what Santa brought me. I'll tell you that. So, hope, like I said, hope everybody stays safe, has a merry Christmas, and uh, yes, here is enjoy my interview with Pete Vandermeer. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kiss my ass. Kiss his ass. Kiss your ass. Happy Hanukkah. All right, here on the fourth line voice, I got all the way out in uh, in Alberta, a man who's uh, third all time on the AHL penalty minute list. Played a 15 year pro career, four years in the dub. On the line, Pete Vandermeer. Pete, how are you doing today? Great, Darren. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for uh, for taking the time to sit down. And I know uh, a little while back you were doing the rounds. You were on all the shows on Spitting Chiglets, Five for Fighting. Everywhere you looked, I, everywhere I turned, uh, Pete was on. A, you were on every podcast. So thank you for taking the time to do mine. 
Oh, you bet. Well, it's uh, lockdown part duh, I guess, part one there when everybody ran out of content or whatever they want to call it, and the NHL shut down. I guess they're in desperate need of some idiots to talk to, and I was around, so I guess we did that. Now I guess it's lockdown part duh. Yeah. Everybody's missing so need somebody to talk to, I guess, again. So thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I listen to all your stuff here, and it's pretty uh, pretty neat listening to the boys talk and tell their stories, and it's pretty cool how, how a lot of them are are pretty similar and yeah i hope uh i hope this goes pretty good i don't sound like too much of an idiot oh no it'll be good ladies you went from spitting jiglets to fourth line voice oh penthouse to outhouse but you're, you're <laughs> i don't know what's happening you're falling fast here but uh <laughs> but uh no this is great no like it's, yeah like you said like having the guys on especially you know I, I have the sort of the soft spot for the old for the old dub boys the 90s dub boys it's sort of my wheelhouse right there so I'm hoping to get some uh, some red deer stories out of you, but uh, uh, before we get like uh, really into it, uh, where did you grow up and where did you play your minor hockey? Uh, well, uh, me and the, all of my brothers, there's, there's six of us. Eh? I'm the oldest of the six boys, and um, mom and dad had a farm and sawmill of Caroline, Alberta. It's uh, about an hour west of Red Deer. Um, we're all born in Red Deer because that's where the hospital was. And, uh, yeah, we grew up in Caroline and played minor hockey there from, you know, when you're barely walking till Pee Wee. And then I think first year Bantam, uh, we went to Rocky Mountain House and played a couple of years there. Uh, came into Sylvan Lake and played a year of Midget and then went into Red Deer and played a year of Midget AAA and then off to the Western League in, in Red Deer there, which uh, was an expansion franchise at the time. And, pretty damn lucky to be able to, to play in the western league you know right close to home far enough to be away from home where you had billets and stuff but close enough to to go home all the time when i needed to and see the see the folks and help out the old man on the mill and close enough where all my buddies uh were going to school and red deer at the college or, or working in the patch and whatnot could all come in and and, and watch me play in red deer there at the time the building was brand new and that was pretty Pretty amazing experience to be in a building where you know it's at six thousand people and you knew a thousand people personally every night. It was uh, more than special, that's for sure. No, absolutely, and it was, it was funny. I was looking up your uh, you were uh, you were dangler triple A. I was looking at it was at thirty four games. I think you had like fifty six points, hundred and seventy two minutes. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, yeah. You were, and then I think your goalie was Chris Mason, right? Yeah, Mace was uh, in and out sort of deal. Like growing up, where he was, there was a couple other goalies that were kind of ahead of him in the Red Deer minor hockey system. So he was a kid that always got stuck on the Double A or the B team or whatever the hell you want to call it until we we're in uh, getting the Triple A and onto junior and stuff like that. And he kind of always used that as fuel, same as all of us uh, out of town kids um, used that as fuel because Red Deer minor hockey would only let so many you know, out of towners come in there and play. So, and we couldn't go anywhere else. We were their property. So we always got cut the first or second time through. So Chris was like a, like a lot of us out of towners. We kind of got the shit end of the stick to start with, but, uh, you know, like I say, use that as fuel and kind of made us a little bit better, tried harder and wanted to show all the city kids that we we're, uh, we we're better than those assholes. And yeah. uh, from around that area went, went on to some pretty good, uh, that's a good career. Spent a lot of time playing hockey, anyway. Absolutely. Um, well, like you said you had you had the the five brothers, and uh, I think the the Vandermeers need to take on the Sutters. That'd be an interesting Royal Rumble, I think. Uh, the, well, we we're all we're all tied together pretty pretty good too, eh? Like 
Brent bought uh, bought the Rebels after I was done there. My brother Jim was captain when they won the Memorial Cup there. Yeah. And my littlest brother Ted played for him as well. And then uh, me and brother Joe and Dan both played, uh, or all three of us played senior hockey for Brian for years and years. And him and my old, old man are pretty good buddies. And, yeah, and be, with uh, Dwayne, he was uh, director of player personnel. I think on three different teams I played for, and I played for Calgary's organization. Uh, for Daryl, Jim played for Daryl when Daryl was GM in Calgary, and yeah, we're all intermingled pretty good here in the Sylvan Lake Red Deer area with those guys, and yeah, have great relationships with all of them. And they're a treat, that's for sure. All those guys. Yeah, it's just like what a story, though, eh? Like you just think, like the Sutter, like all those guys in the NHL. Like it's hard, hard enough to make the NHL, let alone what, like five of you. It's just like what you know, and it's just like you know, and then there's you guys all playing jute, like again hard enough to make junior you know and then uh let alone go on and have pro careers and yeah it's uh must be something out in the water out there i don't know yeah it's a fucking sawmill or the farm that you want to get the hell away from so you can have a life (laughs) that might be you know they're they're great places to grow up but you sure as hell want to get away from them and and they teach you all the things you need to need to uh need to do to be successful eh? like just how to work Yep. How to work together in groups and all that sort of stuff that, you know, stuff that lends you to being hopefully a pretty good teammate. And when you grow up with that many siblings, you got to be able to get along and share and look at people, different people's way of doing things differently and still be able to get along. So all that shit leads to, to help and hopefully be a, be a decent teammate and lots of motivation to get the hell out of the Alberta winter when it's 40 below working outside. Pretty easy to go in a rink and chase puck around. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so you roll in with the... Uh, well, I had heard you had initially... Uh, the first WHL camp you went to was the Victoria Cougars, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was uh, 16. Uh, me and Chris Peterson, that, uh, him and I played together in Rocky Mountain House and Bantam. We went out there. Like, there was, we weren't drafted. There wasn't a whole Western League draft or anything. Eh? We were just... We were both lifted by by Victoria, so we went out there to camp, and uh, Archie Henderson was coaching out there, and yeah. uh, went through exhibition and you know a few games, and right before the regular season started, they told me I was yeah time to go home. You're too skinny and too little, and all that other stuff, and I was not ready to play in the Western again. But but Chris stayed and had a good career out there. And, uh, I came home and had uh, had a really good year in in, in midget and. Met a lot of great guys and had a good year. Gained a lot of confidence and some size and was, was kind of ready to, following that to get into Red Deer. So it worked out pretty good in the end. No, absolutely. So you're 17, you roll into Red Deer. Um, you know, like you said, it was a uh, fairly, uh, like with the expansion and stuff, I think you kind of have an older team. Um, is that when you sort of, and like you said, you know, you had, obviously you put up the points in AAA the year before, but was, did you sort of recognize pretty quick that it's like, you know, I better start fighting. Yeah, well, the fight stuff that was always easy. Like even that year, midget, like we could still kind of fight. Yeah, in midget, so like, you know, I got lots of points. Play with some really good guys in Red Deer. There, play with uh, Kelly Bombach and and Rod Bowers on the line for most of the year. And fuck, those guys were they set me up lots, and I wasn't afraid to go to the net and cause shit. But, but you can still kind of fight. Like it, Usually you get away with the first fight. They just give you four minutes or six minutes, like just in minors. And the second fight, they give you five in the boot. So everybody had lots of penalty minutes. Like I think I was, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn or anything here, but I think I led the league in penalty minutes that year. And 
there's just this one guy called Jerome McGinley and St. Albert, him and his line mate had more points than me that year, but it was, it was a pretty good year. And the fighting was there. Like I fought before that home and outside and always beating the shit out of each other at home with the brothers and stuff like that. So the fighting was easy. So when I got to Red Deer, it was, you know, we had five 20 year olds that first year, you know, and a pretty good, pretty decent team for an expansion team, but there was no real room for, for me to be playing on the first or second line or probably even third line. So the only way I could stick around there was just to, to do shit that other people weren't willing to do as much. And, and fighting for me, it was, it always came pretty easy. Or maybe my head just didn't feel getting knocked the shit out of as much as the average guy. So I could just keep doing it. And the more I did it, then the longer I could stay. And just all the time, it was just like sticking around for one more day. Okay, stick around for one more week and one more month. And then, oh, shit, we've been here for four years. Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, exactly. I just kind of looking at the roster. Yeah, the first year there, you were there. I mean, of course, you got um, you know with Darren Van Amp was there, and uh, you know, and then you know you had Pete LeBoutillier and Ken Richardson and um, uh, Sean Selmser, Terry Lindgren. I mean, you guys, there was no shortage of toughness on your club. No, we had a lot of like Luby was probably probably our real only heavy. The rest of us were all. You know, light heavies or middleweights or whatever. Well, some of us were pretty freaking scrawny when we were young. But like uh, Pete Anhol was our coach there, and hey, it didn't matter if we're up by three or down by three. Eh? Like teams were gonna, they're gonna earn their points if they beat us. They're gonna leave with some missing some blood or missing some teeth. And if we got up on teams, then we're gonna make sure that <laughs> that they're gonna feel a pain too. So we're just a bunch of scrappy mutts, eh? Like you know, we weren't. All, you know, we didn't have any super, super, super skill other than Van Imp. Like, Van Imp is a defenseman there in the Western League as a 19-year-old. was He was unbelievable. Like, he was so good. He, he wasn't the best skier in the world, but he never had to skate because he was so good and patient and awesome with the puck. And, you know, other than him there, we had, you know, just kind of a, a you know, a work, real workman-like team there that uh, we just played hard. And we had fun doing it, so it, it was a great experience. And that's just the the way Pete was. He was a hard worker, and everything. As long as you worked hard, everything else would follow it. And we all followed his example, and and kind of kind of grew up with him teaching us how to do things. And that was kind of how that went. Yeah. Well, your first year. Um, well, you had seventeen tilts your first year. Do you remember your first Western Hockey League fight? Oh shit! No, I know we're going back. I'm, I'm really testing your memory here. I got it right in front of oh. me. Who the fuck? Well, enlighten me. Well, I would like to remember. It was October 29th. Regina was in, in Red Deer. You fought Nathan Dempsey. was your first WHL. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. Demmer. I, I, I run into him in the summertime. He's up in Edmonton there. and Yeah, really. Nate, what the hell was I doing fighting him? He's a good player. Well, I think they were probably asking, what's he doing <laughs> fighting you? But for this interview, it'll be, wow, what are you fighting him for? But, yeah. But then your next fight was against that was a name that people out there will recognize was old Sawyer the Destroyer Kevin Sawyer. In oh Spokane. yeah, thank, thank you. Folded my nose over on the side of my head. I'm pretty sure I remember that one. <laughs> he was yeah, he was pretty pretty big deal back then. Yeah, and, yeah, like it was it, it, it was it was like I said every night up by three or down by three, and I really didn't give a shit if you're a 50 goal scorer or a five goal scorer. I was kind of in that size and. That you know, I wasn't a big heavy, but I could hang in there with those guys. But then 
I got a hold of a skilled player, well, it was always a pretty good trade-off for for our team if I was taking a skilled guy off the ice for five minutes and, and they thought it sucked if I was taking guys like Nathan Dempsey off the ice. That's for sure. Well, you have a couple names on here. I got to ask because, of course, he was a past guest on this show. And good dude. And actually, I put the fight up on my YouTube channel for those listening. Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Check it out after you're done listening to this interview. Jeremy Thompson, Rocky's brother. You t- you fought him a couple oh, times yeah. their first year. Yeah, me and Jeremy had we matched up pretty pretty even against each other there for the most part, and we had really good scraps all the time. Really sucked if I wound up doing good against him because then Rocky would come beat the absolute shit out of me after that. But, but yeah, me and Jeremy usually matched up pretty good. They're pretty even, and those are back in the days where he just grabbed the hold and threw punches until somebody fell down and yep. kind of took stock of things afterwards. See if you had all your teeth and all your parts intact after those. But that's usually how most of those fights went in the first couple of years in the Western League, that's for sure. Yeah, did you find over time, did you sort of start really. Like I've had, yeah, like, well, you've listened to my show and stuff, and I've had the guys on, and I really, I always kind of like try to get in their head, like, yeah, you know, and a lot of guys did spent a lot of time going on technique and working on things and whatever. Um, over time, did you develop that, or was it always just we're farm fighting, just grab and swing until you go down, and then even when you're down, keep swinging, and like, or did you uh, did you put a lot of thought into technique and stuff? Oh, there was always part of that in there, just. To- just scrap right just my yeah. biggest you, i you can't fight like that as many times as i did just going toe to toe it would have been dead years and years ago right but yeah yeah as, as time goes and the more you do it the better you get at it and you know a lot of that is technique and for me a lot of it was feel though too like i was never the, the strongest guy in any fight i was ever in but i was you know pretty try to be slippery and just feel what guys were doing and, and most of it was just being being able to react and I could always throw both hands which was you know especially in junior that was a big thing where everybody just gripped and went toe-to-toe till they fell down if you could do something a little bit different you could you could live a little bit longer than than the average guy so yeah for sure you, you, as time went on you got as a guy gets doing that as a job kind of full-time you have to you know study your craft a little bit for sure and study guys what they're going to do and as time changed and you know you got more access to video and stuff you can see what guys were doing but for me it was just more to kind of get what guys major tendencies were but at the end of the day it was still more feel than 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 anything else if that makes any sense no absolutely uh did, were you a, like a jersey guy did you do anything with your jerseys in terms of like tie downs or tear away sleeves or anything oh i never got to the point of tear away sleeves or anything but uh i know in, in junior, we kind of had to have the tie downs. And in the first few years of pro, well, for quite a long time when I was playing pro, you didn't have to tie down or anything. It's when they uh, when they changed the rules to when you got the game misconduct for coming out of your jersey, everybody had to kind of change a little bit. But I always just had a bigger jersey. Like I was never a big, super huge, muscular guy, but I just always had a bigger jersey. Sometimes a goalie jersey, just so I could get my get my arms out of my sleeves if I needed to. Yeah, sort of deal. And and then when we had to for sure have tie downs, there were things where you'd just cut your tie down halfway through or something like that. So if you really needed to get out of it, you can break it. And then you'd never get the game of conduct because your tie down would still be Velcroed to your pants, eh? But it would break and just play innocent at the ref. Like, hey, what? Not my fault. Look what happened. Like, yeah, I know what you did, you asshole. But they, they couldn't, they couldn't throw you out of the game for that shit. But yeah, you know, everybody had their own little tricks. You could, you knew it didn't matter if it was junior or pro. You play the same guys so many times, and 
fight the same guys, you kind of get wise to what they're doing and what they have done with their jerseys and try to stay away from the stuff that they wanted you to do. Absolutely. Well, before we get off of this season, there's there's two names in your fight card that I have to ask you about. And uh, they're, just, they're little bastards, but uh, I, I was huge fans of both these guys. First one, and you fought him at about, he was about your fifth fight, in uh, Tyler Willis. Oh, Willie, that little son of a bitch. He's the most aggravating human on the planet to play hockey against. I think one of my brothers played with him somewhere along the way, and I played pro against him forever, too. And Just he, his look, how he'd talk and chirpy and stuff, he just wanted to fucking kill him. Every day, all day. Be an absolutely amazing teammate to have, I'm sure of that. Because he wasn't afraid of anybody, and he was not very big at all. And fight anybody, anytime. A lot of respect for for Willie, even though I want to fucking kill him every time I played against him, that's for sure. No, I was, I was a huge Willis fan. Tyler, if you listen to this show, you got to come on here. I've tried to get a hold of him on Twitter a few times. Get him on here. He'd... He would be a, he would be a good guest because that fucker played forever too. And he's yeah. got stories for days, I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the other guy I've got to ask you about who was probably similar, and uh, we were talking before we got going about the old crush can. Of course, is Rob Trumbley. Old Robbie knocked my first tooth out. First tooth I lost, he knocked my tooth so far up in my head I had to go to the dentist about 3 in the morning after that game in Red Deer. The roots were pushed up back in behind my nose so far I thought I was going to never get off that dentist chair. There, He was a tough fucker. Just sneaky, sneaky bombs he would throw that would catch everybody. Like He's not a very big guy, but he hurt a lot of guys. A lot of guys. Yeah, I've had a few people on this show that said, yeah, that old uh, old Trombley could hit. He could bang. Yeah, not a bad player, too. Like, he played hard, just like everybody did in the Western League in those days. Everybody played hard, but, you know, he, you know managed to do like a lot of us did. Use that, that extra space and time you'd get for everybody knowing you dropped the mitts at a moment's notice. Use that extra time and space to, to do some good things as a player, too. Because, eh? you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do is, win hockey games and be good players and move to the next level, whatever we could do, not just scrapping. Scrapping was just part of it, eh? Just another tool in the toolbox. We all wanted to we all wanted to play, not just fight all the time. Even though the fight could be fun sometimes, it really sucked ass other days, too. Yo, absolutely. Well, the following year was kind of a rough was a rough year. You guys finished in last, but I mean, on a personal level, I mean, you you know, you snipe sixteen, so you're you know you're contributing. But uh, there's a few names on this uh, on the uh, on the team this year that uh, I want to throw out at you. Um, of course, the first one was a sixteen year old kid from Portage, uh, Aaron Asham. What a beauty! One of the best little teammates ever. And when when he first came there. Like, he was 16, and I honestly thought he was an oriental little stick boy. He looked like he was Chinese or Japanese and was, like, maybe 140 pounds. I think he put, like, fucking quarters in his pockets to weigh 150, but there's no way he was. He was, like, 135, 140 pounds and tiny and slight and just, like, what the fuck is this kid doing here? He's, like, cutting somebody's sticks off. What's he doing? He put his gear on, he came out there, I'm like, what the fuck, who is this guy? But he was, right from day one, he was tough as nails, and just a great teammate, and just just a really, really good human being. Like, had nothing but, but fun times with Ash, and, and just 
I'm so proud of the career that he had and what he turned himself into and, and what a great guy he is off the ice and what he's done for, for people in his community around Portage and stuff. It's been a pretty neat, neat story all the way around because he came from from a, from a bad setup and, and turned himself into something special. He's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> had, well, I mean, obviously tremendous pro career in the NHL and stuff, but uh, awesome in the Western Hockey League. Like, power forward dude like 40 goals and like tune in guys and shit Aaron Hashem was the shit back in the day oh he was a fucking he was a destroyer in junior like he beat the shit out of guys that you know yeah. I was 18 19 years old he's 16 he's not afraid of guys that I'm like ah I'm not sure I want to tangle with him and Ashley just beat the shit out of him and, and he was so tiny to start with like he was just a little kid right yep no, absolutely, and a few other guys. Well, I mean, it wasn't a fighter, but I mean, um, you know, on a Saskatoon boy, you know, sixteen as well, uh, Jesse Wallen. Yeah, Wally is he is Wally's just awesome. Like his, you know, had some bad stuff happen to him there. His dad left him a little, little too soon. That's for sure. And, and you know, he became the man of the household. And at sixteen years old, he was way more mature than than I am now. He was uh, just kind of a born leader and. Uh, just, just a solid, solid human being. He's back here around Red Deer now. I think he's doing some scout for St. Louis, I think now. But he is just, uh, he's a good dude, really good dude. And it was amazing to see a kid step in at 16 years old and be a man. Where all of us were trying to grow into men, he was already man at 16. It was crazy. Yeah, and just like just steady Eddie back there too. Yeah, nothing, nothing flashy, and you know, not a guy that's going to fight every night or anything like that at all. But just solid, steady Eddie. He's not going on huge, super huge rushes and and lighting up the score sheet, but just just a rock back there on the back end, and, and that's the way he was until until his career ended a little early with some concussion stuff in Detroit. There, it's too bad because I think he he could have played for a long time. Just just the way he was, he's just solid, steady, good size. And just a great head on his shoulders. He was he's he's a hell of a player. Yeah, and anybody wonder yeah, he was a first round pick and for the Red Wings. And uh yeah, like you said, uh unfortunately with the injuries. But uh another name, um I know we follow we talk we follow each other on Twitter and I've talked to him a couple times and uh from Battleford there. Greg Schmidt. Oh Schmidt. Well, I had a lot of fun with Schmidt. He was like I think we played on the line I think the next year there we all me and him and BJ Young had more points than fuck we knew what to do with there and just Smitty was another guy that was just he wasn't that big and he wasn't that fast, but he had an amazing shot and he was tough as nails too. Eh? He was a sneaky lefty and he surprised a lot of guys because he was, you know, pretty skilled guy, but fed a lot of guys their lunch with that sneaky left hand, that's for sure. We got uh, we we're all pretty lucky to get to see a lot of these guys there when when Ryder hosted the Memorial Cup there a few years ago and I actually got to catch up with, with Smitty and a bunch of other guys. It's pretty neat to see how everybody's lives have turned out afterwards when you don't see each other for a long time. But but he's doing good for himself and yeah. Pretty awesome playing with him there for a couple of years that we did. Absolutely. Well you mentioned his name there and of course Terry Ryan obviously talks about him fondly, um, was the late B J Young. And uh Another guy, man, he could snipe and he could he could fucking put a beating on a guy too, you know. Oh yeah, he wasn't afraid to drop the miss. That was our, our thing with Red Yuri. Like, yeah, like I think the next year, like he scored fifty and Smitty had forty and yeah. I had twenty on that same line. But shit, they had as many 
freaking fights as I did almost. Like, they weren't afraid of anybody. And that was just kind of the deal of what our, our team was. It was real pack mentality, eh? Like, you mess with one of us, you mess with us all sort of deal. And Yeah, you get a 50-goal score getting in 10, 15 fights here. That's, that's something pretty unheard of in, in this day and age. But even then, too, like, 50-goal scores didn't have to fight. But he didn't mind it. Didn't mind it at all. Yeah, well, like you said, the, yeah, the next year, yeah, BJM forty nine and Schmidt at forty five and Ashman at thirty two, you at twenty one, then you go Zakuski at twenty, and you know, and I mean, well, and then and like you said, you had guys that uh, all of you had over one hundred and fifty minutes, and then of course you have uh, well Jay Henderson, have him too. How about that yeah, guy Andy playing as a fifteen year old? How about playing? He played yeah. as a fifteen year old. Yeah, and he was tough and fast, like. And I played with Hendy later on in, in Providence there, the Bruins organization. Hendy had himself a good career as well. Like, yep. He could absolutely fly. Like, him and John Zakuski are two of the fastest players I've ever seen in my life. Hendy a lot more uh, grit to him than, than Zook, that's for sure. But, but yeah, Hendy was, he was sneaky tough too, but he could fly. He just, it, it was neat to see how many of those players were turned into really good players later on in their lives. It was, it was neat. You could see the, you, you could see that a lot of guys had something pretty special. It was just, a, you know, it was junior. Everybody's trying to figure out what the hell they could do, what they couldn't do, and how they could do it on a consistent basis. And, yeah, it, it was a really, really neat time to be growing up in the Western League and figuring out how to play this stupid game. No, absolutely. And like you said, just going down, even on your D, like, yeah, you had still had, you know, you had Lindgren back there and, of course, uh, Lance Ward. Then And Lloyd Shaw shows up. I mean, you guys had a pretty tough friggin' blue line. Yeah, we did. Shawzy was like, when he played in Seattle, him and I had some pretty damn good battles there before. Yep. He really helped make our uh, our back end so much better. He was like, he was a tough, tough guy in the Western League then. And, and, and Wardo, Wardo was just a big, dumb teddy bear trying to figure it out. Like, he was so big and so strong that he just didn't know what he could do yet then and like shit he got drafted in the first round twice i think that big q-tip there he he did good for himself too he was figuring out that first year he was uh he was still trying to figure it out but once he got mad and once you're on the wrong side of him like look out you're in big trouble yeah no absolutely and um oh and my boy lindy i did for carrie like one of the best buddies all time he was tough as nails him and i were kind of the same size and did the same sort of stuff me up front and him on the back end and he was our captain there too and he was just a leader you know just a great human being god he was tough as nails too yeah we we did we had a lot of sandpaper that's for sure like tough and and all of us liked doing it nobody hated doing it it was all that's what just made it fun like it just turned into stupid contests sometimes when we get up or we get down it was all right Let's see how really stupid we can make things get go, and see how much ink they can waste on the score sheet. <laughs> well, oh, and the other name there that uh, showed up um, again, former guest on the show, he is a sixteen-year-old, um, Mike Brown. Oh yeah, first Brown, first round Brown. Yeah. Oh, Mikey, he was he was tough as nails too. It was just he couldn't get out of his own way sometimes. He he really had to be a big part of the show and make sure everybody knew what he was doing and you know he's you know pretty young and a little insecure i think there to start with but he he figured it out as time went on and had himself a good career too but, but yeah he was just a kid then and yeah. he was a scary bugger when he got pissed off too and he wound up having a having a pretty good pretty good run at things too and 
being a tough guy in the NHL, that's no freaking joke. No, not at all. No, it was a, I, I know, uh, I kind of have a, an old uh, Red Deer DVD from back then, and holy shit, it's just, uh, yeah, the names that are on that, like I said, you guys, uh, you guys stayed busy anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, like I said, our coach there, Pete Anholt, like, just, if you weren't trying hard or things weren't going in the net, well, it's, anybody can get in a fight. And it's pretty easy to do that. So if your things aren't going good, you might as well make an impact. If you're not moving the the numbers on the left side of the score sheet, you better be moving them on the right-hand side. At least let everybody know you're in there. And I know that all sounds pretty fucking cliche and stupid or whatever, but that was just that was the mentality there. Like, things aren't going good. Cause some shit. Yeah. Be noticed. Do something, right? That was kind of the idea. and. You know, if your teammates are in any kind of trouble and you're not there, you're not just a bad teammate, you're a terrible person. That was welded into us, right? Whether you came with that idea to start with or not, that was built into you there in junior. So everybody did it, whether you wanted to or not. And when there's that many of you doing it all the time, it's it's pretty easy to do lots more of it. So, you know, just just a snowball kind of fact, eh? We had fun doing it. No, absolutely. Well, absolutely. And that, did you go? Were you uh, invited to any NHL camps at this point? No, no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I had, uh, you know, uh, Wayne and Terry Simpson owned the team at the time, and Terry was uh, doing different uh, stints, coaching and scouting for you know Dallas and Philadelphia and stuff like that. And as, as guys left our team over the years um, that weren't drafted, you know, Terry kind of got you know hooked guys up with with tryouts or you know, getting guys into camp or arranging, you know, meetings for guys to be able to go to, to American League camps and East Coast League camps. But to that point, I had gone to gone to anything yet at all. Yeah, so, I mean, so you wrap up in Red Deer. Was it sort of like, uh, well, was obviously the mindset of, I'm going to keep doing this, or it was like, you know, the phone ain't, like, what do I do here? Like, you know, and you end up with the Columbus chill in the East Coast League. How'd that all happen? Well, at at the end of the year, like, like I was just trying to, I was talking about there with, with Terry, um, they always told me, like, don't worry, kid, we'll look after you, we'll look after you, you're done, you've been a good soldier, all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember year-end meetings when I was 20 years old, we lost out to Brandon in the second round after we beat Swift Current, who was supposed to win the whole thing that year, and it was a big accomplishment for the team, you know, getting a, getting a big win in playoffs against a good team like that. <clears throat> and I was... Know, more than a little part of that, and yeah, not so. If you're okay, I'm going to get looked after. I'm going to get a get a tryout. I don't expect a contract or anything like that, but you know, a tryout because I've seen all these other guys that have gone through here, and you know, some of them are better than me. Some of them I know I'm better than, and be you know, or offer different things too. So I figured I'd be looked after by the team. But in that year end meeting, I remember getting told, "Well, you better look into your education package, kid, because you're too small and you're too slow and not good enough to play pro." I'm like, well fuck you guys, you were supposed to look after me, what the hell? So anyways, at that time, when you're a 20 year old, like all the teams in the East Coast League would send out like videos and the coaches and GMs would, would call guys during the year, right? 20 year olds in the Western League and the Ontario League or wherever else just to, you know, it's kind of like recruiting, right? All yep. the guys that weren't drafted or didn't have place to go. And anyways, I got probably a dozen different offers from teams in the East Coast League, like for trials, not like contract offers, but like come here and this is why you should pick this team. And they'd send out these packages with videos and like newspaper clippings and, you know, videos on the towns and shit like that. Hey, you know, why you should choose to come here. 
And anyways, it came down to Johnstown, Columbus, and Richmond were the three teams that I kind of figured I might want to go to. And in the end, I decided to go to Richmond. Uh, Roy Sommer was coaching there, and I talked to him a bunch of times on the phone and had some mutual, uh, he knew guys that I knew sort of deal. And it sounded like the best place to go, so I said, yeah, I'm coming there, and they're going to get me a tryout uh, in Houston, I think it was. Or, no, in Kentucky. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, about two weeks before I was supposed to leave to go down there, Roy got the job in Kentucky for their American League team. And Paul said, yeah, we're, you know, we can't have you here. Or we can, we still want to have you here, but I'm not going to be here. He was the reason I was going there. Anyways, um, so I said, no, I'm not going to go there. He's not there. So I decided to go to Columbus because uh, Brian McCutcheon was coaching there. And him and Brian Sutter played together years ago in Tulsa when they first started off their careers. And Brian said he's a good guy. Go there. So that's how I wound up going to camp in Houston to start with and then wound up uh, playing in Columbus that first year. Sorry, that's a long story. I told you to shut me up if I started rambling. No, no. So it was uh, Houston and the, they were the IHL at the time. That, that's right, yeah. And Dave Tippett was coaching there, and Mark Lamb was his player assistant coach. Played half a dozen exhibition games there, scored some goals, got some fights. Had a great time down there in Houston. Thought it was absolutely amazing. The first exhibition game, uh, Mark DeForest, the goalie, I'm sitting beside him in the dressing room. He kicks the door open and lights up a smoke right there beside me. And he's like, fuck. He's like 35 years old. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? You guys having a dart right here in the dressing room between periods. Ah, don't worry about the kid. You'll get there someday, too. And I did. But <laughs> that was my kind of opener to the, the IHL, which was incredibly skilled. You know, tough guys were super tough. The good players were all like incredible players and whatnot. It was just a big eye opener. It was just like it really reminded me of the very first time I went to camp in Victoria as, as a 16 year old, and I knew I wasn't big enough or fast enough or strong enough to play in that league. But in time, I would get there. It felt the exact same way going to camp in the International League, where yeah, in time we're going to be able to get here. But right now, as a 20 year old, I'm I'm too slow. I'm too weak. You know, these guys are fucking men. They've been doing this shit for a long time, and I'm not ready to compete with them for jobs. So I'm going to go to the coast and get some experience, and I'll be back. That was kind of my mindset when when I left there and went uh, went to Columbus. Yeah, well, it was like, how pissed were you when the IHL folded? Yeah, it was, you know, it was tons and tons of jobs, right? There were yeah. like six teams that merged over into the American League, but, but that league was so good. Guys were getting paid way yeah. better than the American League, right? And, exactly. you know, there was so much skill there. And and the heavies were heavies, but they also had room for young guys there. Eh? Like at that time, and the, everything was totally different. Like the American League, there'd be you know there'd only be four or five rookies on a team, right? Where they were all older, you know, guys that were twenty five, twenty six to thirty years old. And the eye was more okay. Everybody's thirty five, and then we have like seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are, you know, rookies kind of breaking in, learning how to play the game properly and go from there sort of deal. Like, it was two totally different leagues, and there was actually kind of a little bit more opportunity. If you could find your way into the IHL, you could do really well and make a lot more money and still be, you know, uh, at that next step to the NHL sort of deal. Like, and better cities, way nicer cities and flying everywhere. I said American League was all on the northeast side of the states, you know, on the bus all the time. and Yeah. It really sucked when the eye went because not only was their jobs gone, it was just a whole other way of getting where you wanted to go was gone too. No, absolutely. Oh, I missed the eye. The eye was so much fun. Um, uh, yeah, well, 
before we get going, like, yeah, as you're second with the American League and how things have changed, what do you think of the veteran rule? It's fucking horrible. It's absolutely terrible. Kids, when I came into the American League, it's not like, oh, I went through that, so it's better. I just know it is from my experience from playing in both. Like, going from when I started having five or six rookies or even three or four in some teams, the guys that stayed there learned how to play and learned how to win and learned how to be professional. And if you fucked up, you were in big trouble and you didn't play as much or you sat in stands. At the end of my career, you could only have five veterans, guys that played more than 250 games. And the kids, they can screw up all the time, and it doesn't matter. It's about development, development. Yeah, development, that's great, but there's no repercussions for screwing up. You screwed up when I broke in the league. Well, you were punished for it, like not like beat up or anything, but you didn't get to play as much, or you lost your spot in the power play, or you lost ice time. When I was leaving, like kids could do whatever they want. They never learned how to play properly. They never learned how to win. They never knew how to become good teammates. It was just all, don't worry about it. You're going to get better. You're going to be on the show next year. And then those kids only had like one contract. If they weren't in the NHL by the time they after their first three years, well, then see you later. Beat it. You're gone. Like, guys don't have long careers anymore. Guys don't aren't able to pass their skills and their knowledge down to the next group because they're fucking gone. They're not the show right away. You're out. And yeah, well, yeah, that's that, just kind of my my thoughts on it, anyways. Among other things, but that's kind of the main thing. Yeah, well, then it's pretty much yeah. If you don't, you're off to Europe, you know. And then yeah, at that point, you know, and it's like, well, because I know you were part of the like you, you you bargained a bunch of contracts with the American League and the Players Association. Did that shit ever come up? And were you like real vocal about this is a bullshit rule? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. With all well, that, like, I what was their re- like? What's their reasoning for it? Like, what? Why are they so gung ho for it? Same as anything, money. Yeah, wow. Right, and when you know when when the salary cap issues came in, then that you know everybody they, the teams wanted cost certain, and they wanted to know how much they're going to have to spend. And you know, it's just money. They don't want to have to pay you know five or six guys a hundred thousand dollars or you know two hundred thousand dollars a year, where they can pay everybody on their entry level in the minors thirty grand or forty grand or whatever the minimum is now. Like it's not very much, right? Yeah, and pay a bunch of guys that. And if they're if they're good enough, well, then we'll give them millions when they get to the show. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's just money, same as anything. Yeah, it's money. It's not for the betterment of the game. It's for what makes best sense money wise. And at the end of the day, they're all businesses. I get it. But for the game itself, I think well, we see the product all the time. What it is now compared to what it used to be, and you know, it is faster. It's you know, there's a lot of skill, but there's way less physical contact there's way less emotion there's way less give a shit in it and i think all that is part of it all works together it's not just one day it showed up like that it's it's changed guys don't you know they care about their own stats they care about getting to the next level but they don't really you know in my opinion anyways uh the team and the organization and, and the city that they play in is is secondary for sure yeah, I guess I, well, especially with the while well, we were talking with the eye and stuff, but yeah, I, I just miss the old minor leagues. Where you, I mean, you had a couple of the guys that were there, like for four or five years, right? And it, like I know the fans of the minor league teams. I mean, they get used to the revolving door that it is now. But like back in the day, you had a couple of guys that would homestead, right? And they were there for at least the fans always knew. Well, we're gonna have a whole bunch of new guys, but Jimmy, Joe, and John are gonna be here. You know, you don't have that yeah, anymore for sure. You know. No, you sure don't, and that's and that's a big reason too why you see so much movement. Eh? It's 
in, in the teams and their affiliations, right? It, it's like baseball, right? And that's what kind of the model was all the time anyways, was to get to that 30 NHL teams, 30 American League teams, 30 East Coast League or AA level teams, right? But the affiliations change all the time because your local, if you have local ownership group and your local fan, and you get the shit end of the stick like three or four years in a row where they take your best player to playoff time or they call guys up because they're doing good. There isn't that that guy that you can latch on to and be a fan of. They're just moving parts all the time. And the team doesn't do good. Well, piss on you. We're, we're going to go with somebody else that's going to give us more stability, right? Yep. There's always that give and take, that fight of we, we want a good team in the minors. But once we have a good team in the minors, those players got to go up, right? They got to go. And if you don't have at least a little bit of stability or some continuity there well then it, who gives a shit like it's just another guy in the jersey right and that, that's what i found most successful minor league teams places like hershey where i played teams like rochester where i played providence where i played like there was close ties to the big club and those teams didn't didn't move and there always was that three four five guys that stayed there for five six ten years sometimes right yeah. where they were the good player on the american league team and once in a while would get a game up and down or whatever, but they were there and they were big. They're a part of the community, right? They either, you know, they have families because they got to be there for a long time and, and they're, they're part of that, that team and that city, you know, this part of what, what kept people coming to the games. No, absolutely. Um, well, uh, yeah, we'll get back to your, your career here. So your, your first year pro 96, 97, like you said, you signed on with the Columbus chill in the East coast league, 30 games, 17 points. Um, I know you had a really bad injury, but before we get into that, I got to ask uh, once again. Like I said, we're going to go over some uh, some teammates, and you had some characters on this team that I want to ask you about. Um, uh, one of them uh, being a former Medicine Hat Tiger, Lauren Taze. Oh, Taser! He was Taser was awesome. Taser and, and his wife were down there. Like he, your name is there. They were awesome people, right? Like, he's just a little bit older than me. Like, I played against him in the Western League, and he was tough as nails and just a workout freak. I think he still is down in Medicine Hat, just a just a nut down there that way and helping kids and coaching kids. He was such a, a good leader and a good guy to have on your team, and he had everybody's back. He was, he was nuts. <laughs> he was awesome. Though. He was so good. Such a good guy. And. He didn't like swearing all the time either, too. Eh? He was like like Shane Doan in that way, where he wouldn't really, he wouldn't, he wouldn't swear, and he'd have stupid words just mixed in for the swear word. Fuck, he was a good guy. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys had a tough team there too. I mean, uh, I mean, you had Derek Wood and uh, uh, and another guy, Corey Bricknell. Yeah, old Bricks. He was a beauty too. Bricks was fucking. He was tough, big Ontario guy. Like Woody, I played all my junior against him, hated his guts, and then I wound up playing, I think, in three different leagues with him and living with him in three different towns and played on four different teams with him. And he's a guy I hated to play against and loved playing with. He was just a hell of a guy. I think he's back in Prince George now, too. He's got a family and work up there. He's doing good for himself. That's, yeah. Well, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I got two more names for you because they're sort of infamous minor league guys. Um, the first one was uh, the guy, the Scary Gary Koopel. He only he... Oh, Koops. I think Koops got suspended twice for life there. One of the times was that year. Actually, and I, you had Aaron Bow on, didn't you? Yeah, Bozy on. <laughs> yeah, two parts. Bozy was on that. <laughs> Bozy was on that team too, and 
actually, I remember listening and the one story he was telling um, about Coops. So um, Aaron Downey was playing for Brophy down in uh, down in Norfolk. We're playing them down there, and I'm carrying puck up the middle of the ice, and I go to go around Downs, and Downs cross checks me in the fucking temple. Puts me, uh, knocks me out colder than a cucumber. I bash my face off the ice. I think I knocked another tooth out, bleeding everywhere. And I remember looking up and looking down the ice, knowing I had to get off the ice. I was hurt. And I looked one way and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing in Portland, Oregon? Because the rink in Norfolk looked a little bit. It had a kind of wave in it, like the old rink in Portland. And then I knew I am not in Portland. I'm not in Portland. I fucked up. I got to get the fuck off the ice. And all of a sudden, the trainer's there and fucking get me pointed off the ice. And I get in the room. And they got two doctors stitching holes fill my face. All of a sudden, the doctors leave with the thread hanging on my face and just leave. Because, as Aaron was telling that story on one of your former podcasts, so Downs was yelling and screaming at the refs because the refs didn't see what happened, of course, because their refs are terrible. I'm carrying the puck to cross-check my head, and they didn't know what was going on. So they're all standing around trying to figure out what's happening while they're meat-wagging me off the ice. Coops gets up, walks down to the end of the bench, because Downey's on their bench, and he's yelling at the refs, just kind of leaning over the boards. David Brumby is our goalie, another Western League guy, our spare tender at the time. He pushes Brum's back, says, just wait a sec. He leans over, and he's fucking tomahawk chops Downs across the back of the neck. Downs flops out of the penalty box, starts doing the funky chicken on the ice, having a seizure because he fucking down near broke his neck. Rofi loses mind, yelling, screaming. That somehow the refs didn't see any of this stuff. I think Downs or uh, Gary Capel got like four or five games because the video didn't conclu- conclusively show that he tried to murder a guy on the bench. So that's kind of the, the filling in the story of what uh, what Bozy was talking about. That was one of my first experiences with with Gary Capel. He was nuts. He smoked way too much dope. Way too much dope. And then later on that year, he finally got suspended for the rest of the year. Because when he would screw up or things wouldn't go his way, he'd do the Bo Jackson, eh? He'd just take his stick, like he's using a wooden stick, and just snap it over his leg, which is a hard thing to do with the wooden sticks, just snap in half. He'd do that all the time. But he did that one game, he snapped it over his leg, and he threw it towards the bench, went and stands, and one of the ragged pieces caught a little girl, like, and, like cut her open and stuff like that, which wasn't a good scene, but he got suspended for the rest of the year and... It was supposed to be for life. But, yeah, Coops was nuts. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, another character on that team that uh, Justin McPolin. Oh, Polar Bear. Polar. So, on, at, we're playing in Toledo, and I'm sure you've heard the stories about that rink in Toledo, way, where you, you kind of you sat in the stands with the fans. Like, there's no separation between the fans and you and you had to walk through the lobby they could smoke in this building they hit you with fucking you know batteries and socks and change in socks pour beer down your neck in the penalty box this place is just a fucking shithole absolutely amazing environment if you're a home team and the rink was probably about 180 feet long by 65 feet wide like it was way too small square corners shoot the puck in it would bounce out in front of the net D-man would try to rim it behind his net. It would bounce up in front of his net. Anyways, we're playing there, and end of the game, I don't know if we were winning or losing or whatever, but we had a line brawl. I wound up with Mark Beasley somehow rolling around. He outweighed me by 100 pounds, and he didn't kill me, thank God. But we go off the ice. They throw us off the ice. McPolin was in this. I'm walking right behind him. He, we kind of round up some of our gear on the way out. 
So you have to walk through the stands. We walk up into the stands and then you go down into the lobby. And the only thing keeping the fans away from me are the, you know, the police barricade type metal things. Anyways, somehow a fan, I don't know if they were selling them in there that night or brought their own, but a glass beer mug, threw it at McPolin, hit him in the face. He absolutely loses his fucking mind. He's got his stick and he just wades into the crowd, swinging his stick like a fucking scythe, chopping down wheat like there's men, women, children, just falling left, right, and center, blood everywhere. Oh, my God. We're all going to fucking jail, or they're going to kill us, eh? The cops are all there. They get us stuffed in our dressing room, which is the size of a freaking janitor's closet. Our coach there says, get your skates off. Get on the bus. We're getting out of here right now. Like, don't take your shit off. Just get on the bus. We all get on our bus. All the fans are out in the parking lot throwing beer bottles and shit at the bus. They're going to kill us all. They're getting their guns. And we had, a, actually, a police escort from out of the city cop car in front, one's on the side, one's behind us, just to get us out of town so that the, the locals didn't lynch us and kill us all right there. And I don't know how people didn't die in that operation, because he was clubbing everyone. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, I think he got suspended for the rest of the year for that. That was interesting. He might have had way too many chemicals in his system, too. But he was interesting. Yeah, well, and of course, you know, I mean, well, yeah, the story of McPoland, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, sad story later on in life, and I mean, if anybody really wants to know, just hit Google and search his name and the the story will come up and yeah, not good. But yeah, I Well, he came from bad stuff there in Toronto like his his upbringing and and just a rough rough how they had to they had no money and the only way to do anything was to do bad stuff, right? That's yeah, how him and his brother grew up there. So, you know, it's it's sad for sure. But it's kind of uh, those are the kind of stories that make me really glad that I grew up in bumfuck nowhere in the middle of nowhere, Alberta, where with a lot of good family and friends, but for some support, that's for sure. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So that was uh, well, yeah. Well, so we I mentioned your, um, you know, your um, your injury that you had. What uh, that that sound sounded horrific. Yeah, that wasn't a that wasn't a good day. It was supposed to be a good day. It was uh, New Year's Eve, and flock of seagulls were playing at our post game party. We had these post game parties every uh, big occasion, like a lot of the the minor league teams did. You know, they had the goofy different colored jerseys or different bands come and play. And so I was all excited to see those guys at the time. This would have been a long time ago, anyways. Yeah, but. Um, I was back checking, coming back into our end, and I got tied up with a guy. This was in the clutch and grab era, right, where you're you're back checking, you're not tied up, and both you have your sticks in each other's guts while you're doing something wrong. So I'm tied up with a guy coming back into our end, thinking I'm doing a good job back checking. Uh, the guy's carrying the puck on the wall, tried jumping inside. I think it was Corey Bricknell there on the back end, defenseman, and he stepped up to hit him. The guy carrying the puck, he went up in the air, and he came down his shoulder and body kind of hit me in the knee on my left side and the guy I was tied up with we went that way too and somehow my skate blade stayed flat on the ice and spun my leg around like a like a willow sapling and shattered it all the rat shit and broke it real good so they had bolt me back together put a bunch of rods and screws and everything to to get me going again I was out for uh, I think nine weeks I played 
after I got that surgery where the doc said, yeah, you're done. You're never going to play again. And I told him to piss off. I'd come back and, and play again. And I did. So yeah, kind of slowed a real quick end of that season. Anyways, all of a sudden in the middle, right when I was kind of getting going and, and we're starting to get some success that year, the team was starting to do really well and, and play good, but managed to come back to playoffs and, and whatnot. So at the end it was okay, but that was a long couple of months. That's for sure. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, there. Um, well, I was going to say, uh, it, in, uh, in in terms of just your your first year pro, what was uh, what was, what was the big kind of uh, takeaway from it? Was it just uh, like you said, you had spent the time in the eye and stuff, and then you come down to the East Coast League? How what was the adjustment like coming from the uh, Western League to pro? Uh, it kind of like. Like all the time, right? Every rung up the ladder, it's it's easier to play individually. Like as long as you can skate and have the skills, like it's easier to play because guys are more where they're supposed to be. It's less scrambly. So time I spent in the eye, I figured, okay, I need to get faster. I need to get stronger. And I did that, and I gained a lot of confidence before I broke my leg. And actually a lot more after I broke my leg and came back from that injury. Like I figured, well, shit, that's the most pain I've ever been in. Like nobody can do that something like that to me and if i can get through that and come through back through all the rehab stuff which was a real grueling process to to get back where i could play and i came back stronger and better than i was before i just gained a lot of confidence playing at, at the east coast league level and okay figure okay i'm gonna be a really good player at this league whether i have to spend any more time here or not and i for sure i'm gonna be able to play at the next level because it was the same deal as junior like i saw guys that I played with and against go up to the next level, whether it was the American League or the International League, and do well. Guys that you know, I match myself up against. Like, okay, I'm as good as that guy, or I'm better, or I'm a little worse. But that guy's doing good there. I know I can do that. And it's, you know, you never know until you do it for sure yourself. But seeing that, then I knew I could get to that next level, and it would just be a matter of time and and what kind of opportunity I could either create for myself or somebody might hand me. So. It just it gave me nothing but confidence coming back from that that bad injury. Right, go from laying on the ice having bones sticking out of your leg and sock squirting blood up in the air to coming back and playing and scoring. Uh, my first game back, I scored two goals. So I'm like, oh fuck, I can do this. I'm good. I'm okay. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was just it was a long way to go to get to get a whole bunch of more confidence. Yep. Yep. Well. uh well, before, I know you. Uh, one of your fights there in your in your, uh, in your playoffs there in your first year of pro, you ran into Greg Lakovic. Yeah, well, Greg, we had some real good battles. He was in Toledo there too. He was yeah, he was tough as nails. And he was you know a lot thicker than me, that's for sure. But yeah, we had some real good tilts over the year, me and Greg for sure. He was tough. Yeah, he was. Oh, come on. There we go. Did I lose you? No, you're still there. There we go. No, I'm on Hockey DB and I keep hitting this stupid ad and it starts making all this bloody noise. Uh, so. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Uh, well, the following year, um, I believe you you start off in Columbus, then you go to Richmond, but you end up with in in Rochester. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of moving and shaking going on that year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we... Uh, yeah, I, I went to... Uh, 
sorry, Darren. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just I started a year. I went to camp in Detroit uh, with the Vipers that year. Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of like a walk-on tryout, and that was the year that uh, the Gordy Howe came back and, and played this one game with the Vipers to play in. I think it was six different decades. Yeah. Playing pro hockey. So I think it was me and Scotty Walker got healthy scratch for the the first game of the year, the opening game in the Palace Auburn Hills there. And so yeah, that's another little mini claim to fame or shame there. I got scratched for Gordy. I tell the kids that they're like. Like, are you a hundred fucking years old? Like, how do you get scratched with Gordy Al? Like, he was playing in the forties. Like, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I got healthy for Gordy. Yeah, Steve Ledzig was coaching there that year, and it was kind of the same thing. Like, they had a really good team. They'd won the Turner Cup the year before. They had like Sergey Samsonov and you know guys like that that were pretty pretty awesome players. Dan Kessa and all kinds of different different guys there. Where I. I if I might have went to another team that wasn't as good, I probably would have been able to stay. But that team was at the, you know, they're the best team in the league the year before, and they're looking at going on another run. And and they only had a couple of rookies there, and they didn't have room for for a no name like me there, sort of deal. So I went back to Columbus, and and we had a turnover there um, with coaching and Brian McCutcheon. The reason I went there, he got the job in Rochester, and he told us all during the summer, like, hey, as soon as you know, as soon as I can, I'll get you guys in here at Rochester. Like, I got to kind of get set up and see how things are. But there was a few of us there that did a good job for him, and he liked how we played and, and all that. But his replacement was Donnie Granato, like Tony's brother there. And Donnie, Donnie's had a heck of a career for himself coaching in the minors and stuff like that and has beaten cancer and all that sort of stuff and, and whatnot. But he was a real fucking prick that first year coaching there. It was his first year coaching pro he coached uh, the green bay ramblers or whatever in that ushl for a few years and won three or four championships in a row and he figured he knew everything about hockey which he didn't know lots but he wasn't a very good personality manager so uh the reason he got traded out of there we got we were playing in huntington one night the uh, second game of a three and three which was always awesome those three and threes in the coast then <laughs> with travel and uh, we we should have beat the Huntington. We're a better team than them, and they they wound up beating us at, in their home barn. And after the game, Donnie comes in. That's it. You guys are terrible. You guys are shit. I cancel all your guys' food. You guys don't deserve to eat tonight. And walks out of the room. Like what the fuck? Like we just this is our, we play in the middle of the afternoon the next day for a third game in three days. Like guys are dying. So me, Jason Disher, and uh, I think it was Brumby, yeah, Dave Brumby, we go across the street in Huntington, there's a Wendy's there, we ordered like fucking 50 burgers and fries, let's go, quick, we gotta go get them on this bus. So it takes a long time, everybody gets undressed, and the bus pulls up, and Donnie says, like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, we gotta eat, guys gotta eat, we're spending our own money, we're getting the guys food, we'll go. Sorry, nope, everybody get off the bus, so... First three guys got off the bus, and us three get called in the room after we get back to Columbus. And he says, you fucking guys, you're all fined like a 1000 bucks, And, like, we're all making, like, 500 bucks a week. And you're spending for five games. You guys are shit. You're undermining my authority. Jason Disher grabs Donnie by the scruff of the neck, pulls him over his desk, desk is going to beat the absolute shit out of him. So he rescued me and Brumby. No, we can't, we can't beat up the coach. It's all good. Okay sorry okay you guys aren't fine you're not suspended <laughs> um we just gotta li- live and let live like, okay good because this year's gonna fucking kill you sounds good and okay he called us all in the next day we, we played we won it was all good things were we're all good back to normal sorry about the miss 
misunderstanding, and then he trades us all the next day. He traded me to, to Richmond, which I wanted to go to in the first place originally the year before or whatever, so it actually kind of worked out kind of neat. But only spent, uh, I don't, don't even think, 20 games there before uh, Brian McCutcheon called me and Derek Wood, who was playing in Columbus still, up to uh, up to Rochester, where we had a nice little run there. I'm sorry, my stories, they they go somewhere. They just take a long time to get there. No, man, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Um, well, yeah, and that I that yeah. So you so yeah, you get to the American League. You play 30 games uh, that year with Rochester. Of course, the little playoff there. But yeah, four goals, 140 minutes. Uh, what was life in the AHL like when you first got up there? Uh, playing so much easier, right? Like I was saying before, like you just it was so less scrambly and. Because uh, Brian had brought me and uh, me and Derek Wood up there, he had us killing penalties and like playing regularly, like we fit right into the lineup. And yeah, the guys there were were awesome. We had a great group of guys there. We had you know Marty Braun and Scott Bale goaltending. Um, we had guys like Scotty Metcalf, Scotty Nickel, Dan Frawley, like some really good players up front. Uh, you know, they just kind of welcomed us right in there and. We fit right in. We worked our asses off. We chirped the shit out of everybody, and we worked our asses off and had a lot of fun doing it. It was it was fun, like absolutely fun, fun playing. And then just with the with the scrapping, like the boys were bigger, but it it just kind of fell into place. There, got a couple scraps straight away, and didn't get my ass handed to me. And you're okay. I can do that stuff here too. And away we went. Yeah, like I said, you had a tough team. You know, Melanson was there, Roman Ender, uh, John Luke Grandpierre, Jared Bedner, Eric Levine. A pretty tough team. Yeah, we had some tough boys. Those those two, like uh, Roman Ender, is uh, one of the thickest human beings I've ever seen in my life. Just huge and strong and mean. And Lukey, old John Luke, like he was a rail, but he was like six six and like had arms that stretched across the room, and he beat the shit out of everybody. Greg Walters there was another real tough guy. He really took me under under his wing and helped me out a lot in the, in the scrapping and that side of things. But, yeah, we had a tough team and, and just a really good group of guys. And, and, you know, the history of that team and the rank and everything there, too, it was just it was a real fun place to play, really fun. Well, absolutely. And, well, like you said, a couple of the guys that you took on, uh, you know, notables that people will know. Um, I know in one game you fought him twice with Sean Thornton. Out in St. John. Yeah. Yeah, me and Thorny, we had, you know, things. We we fought against each other all the time and did lots of stuff with actually with with PHPA, with the union together over time. and got to be, you know, pretty decent buddies over that over that stretch. And just strong, tough guy. Everybody was tough there, eh? There was no, yeah. there was no pretenders. Everybody, everybody was tough, and there was lots of guys that were, on the vitamin S, that's for damn sure. And, you know, everybody's trying to get to that next level, doing whatever the hell they had to do to do it. And there were some big, scary boys, that's for sure. And, and but it was good playing on that team. Like you mentioned, all those guys on our team that were so tough. Like I wasn't the guy looking after all the heavy lifting. I was way down on the list there. So, so it was good. I could, like that first couple of years there in America, I could fight guys my size. Like it was fun. And then, because I'd usually do really good against guys that were, you know, kind of my weight class, and then I could always step up a little bit. But if I ever got in too big of trouble, well, I had guys that were right there that would step in in a, in a second that were way bigger and way stronger than me. And it was fun to, you know, do it as a do it as a wolf pack instead of one guy running around by himself. That's for sure. 
Yeah. And and every team had every team was like that though. It wasn't like um, you know, we're an anomaly or anything like that at all. Everybody had six, seven, eight guys and then they had five or six guys chomping at the bit and at the next league below or sitting in the stands that were ready to come in and do the job too. So yep. it was just the way it was. Absolutely. Well, one of the guys that you fought right towards the end of the year, and he's a lot of similarities to you. You know, he did it for a long time, similar size, well, very same size, uh, Dennis Bonvi. Yeah, me and Bones were, well, I've become real good buddies with Bones again with the, with the PHPA, with the union. Hey, like it's, Funny, a lot of the dum dums wound up being being player reps and trying to help their other their teammates out off the ice, the same as we tried to do on the ice. But but I know it was one of the first um, first big fights I had there in the American League was against Bones, and it went on forever. Like I probably one of the longest fights I've ever been in. And it was over two minutes with him and I beating the absolute shit out of each other, and I hung in there. And at the time, he was kind of the the heavyweight champ of the the American League at the time, and I didn't get my ass handed to me. I, did more than equip myself very well with him, and you know I didn't beat him up by any means. But just hung in there for that long with a guy that was the guy there, and gained a lot of respect from my teammates, and I think a lot of respect around the league because everybody everybody talked. Eh? And it was it was pretty neat to be able to do good against the guy when I was that young and small sort of deal, and, and do well and kind of really made sure I could stay in the same deal, stay in the American League for another day, stay in the American League for another week, and. All of a sudden, you're there for 12 years. Yeah, well, and Bonfi's such an interesting case. I mean, you know, like you said, all-time penalty minute leader. He did it for so long. Um, yeah, hear all the story. What was he like to play against, though? Like, was he a big yapper? And like, oh yeah, yeah, he yapped all the time. Even even when we got to be good buddies, he'd yap all the time. And he and he would piss guys off. You know, we we're talking a little bit there before we got on started recording about how Revo is now, like mm-hmm. about Ryan Reeves and how he pisses everybody off and everybody's so concerned about him. And that that's how Bones was. Like everybody on the other team, whether they're the goal scorer or the goalie or the coach, they're he'd get them all worried about yelling and screaming at him that, that the other players on his team would would have a great advantage, right? Like they'd be able to do their stuff while the other guys are so worried about Bones and what he's gonna do, whether it's crazy or it's absolutely nothing at all. They're just always worried about him that that he was very, very effective, not just on the scrapping side of it, but just on the psychological side and getting everybody off their game. He was a fucking master at it. Yep. And I think he, and a lot better player than people give him credit for. Yeah. When he started off, like, fucking not being able to do anything, right? Like, he was, even well, well before, I've talked with him lots about this, eh? Like, that's all he came in, you know, when, to, Coming out of the line of Canada, going into the Ontario, he gets a fight, and that's all he could do. And couldn't play, but spent all the time in the world in order to make himself, you know, not a liability on the ice to be able to play in the National Hockey League. It's amazing. And same deal too. Like when you're when you're that guy, you get a lot more room, you get a lot more time, so you can do things with the puck. Unless there's some other idiot that's the same deal as them, come breathing down their neck. But everybody else is spooked. You get that extra little you grow your bubble. Just grow it another foot, another two feet, then you got an extra fraction of a second to make a pass or even chip the puck out of your end, and then you're okay on the ice. You're not, you're, you're, you're not a liability. He, he worked so hard at being able to do that and continue to be get better and better as years went on and the game changed and be able to stay in the game with a limited skill set and be more than just a fighter. It's, it's pretty special. He had a hell of a career, like amazing. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so yeah, so you're in the American League, and uh, like I said, you played the 30 games, and you know you acquit yourself uh, pretty good. But uh, the the following year, um, you basically spent the majority of it in the United League. Um, was that a kind of a disappointment to you? Yeah, sure, sure it was. We uh, you know we had a good run in in, uh, in Rochester that year in playoffs, and like played a big. You know, played a regular shift. Me and Derek Wood playing the third line and killing killing penalties. You know, first unit killing penalties all the time, and you know had a had a really good run. And then they wanted to resign me there. It was all good, and I resigned with like an American League deal with Rochester for the next year. Figure, okay, great, we'll be here for the year. And kind of all right. I'm kind of an American League regular now. It's going to be awesome. And yeah, both. Five games into the year, I was healthy scratch, healthy scratch, and I'm like, well, we need to get you to play till Buffalo figures out what they're going to do. You know, the old trickle down effect. And when somebody gets called up, then you'll be well. The deal is, okay, you're going to Binghamton for for two games, just for the weekend, and come right back. So I do that and come back and I practice for the weekend. Oh yeah, well, you might as well go there for a while just so you can play instead of sitting here in the stand and get bag skated every day. So okay, we'll go to Bingo. And yeah, it was for sure a step down and whatnot. But there was like that league at the time. There was every team had a really good first line and a good first pairing defenseman, like better or just as good as the American League, really. But then the drop off was like fucking way. You know, he only had ten forwards and five D, and you know everybody other than that first unit was quite a step down sort of deal. Yeah, and went to Binghamton and. That that rank the town. I feel sorry for you guys that have to play there for any length of time. It's, there's a lot of great people there, and I did enjoy my time there. But it's it's cloudy every day. Like it's really kind of depressing little place. In the winter, I hear it's beautiful in the summer, which most places that's what they say are right. But um, our team was was really really soft, and and I was talking about before about how easy it was to do the job scrapping all the time and being in everybody's face when there's a whole pack of you. It's the other way when you're by yourself. And at Binghamton, I was by myself. And it was a long year with a lot of tough guys. Because the tough guys in the U-Haul they were as tough as the guys in the American League. Some of them tougher yet, too. So it was uh, it was a long year. We uh, And travel, every, everything was just, it was, a long, it was a long fucking year. Yeah, well, but I mean, you know, you you, start, you certainly didn't take, you know, 62 games, you had 36 points, 390 minutes, and you stayed busy, and like you said, but one of the names down there that you fought a couple times over in Mohawk Valley is uh, definitely a minor league legend, and certainly American League toughness, for sure, uh, Serge Roberge. Yeah, old Serge. I learned more fighting Serge that year than I learned in probably five other years put together. He was so technical and so strong and good at his craft there that it was, I actually feel quite lucky to be, you know, to have fought him and to learn so much and, yeah, it, and and not get my fucking head kicked in. Like, I figured after that year I fought Serge a bunch of times and I thought, okay, if I can hang with that guy, I can hang with anybody sort of deal. And it was, it really was another confidence build, even though I didn't leave all those scraps with completely intact that's for sure he got the best of me on a bunch of them for sure but but he didn't murder me and, and it was a big confidence builder and a big big learning curve and just doing it so much that you're like i don't even know how many times i fought that year but it was 
it seemed like it was every night all the time sort of deal and, and not just surge but there had lots of guys throughout that league that were really tough and good at their job and yeah learned a lot from a lot of guys that year like no year is a bad year right like i said it was a long year but you always learn stuff and you always gain experience and and had some great teammates that you know like i said none of them were that that tough or anything but we we had a good group of guys and had a lot of fun with those guys in that town yeah well and like you said you do actually end up yeah you go back up to rochester that year and you end up playing the, the 16 playoff games you had a hell of a run you made it all the way to the final playing providence lost in the final unfortunately but um you know you had a couple names that i wanted to ask you about i mean you had uh, you know darren van owen Corey sarich randy cunnyworth yeah, well, Connie that year, like he aged about twenty years in that playoff run. Like he was down there as a player, player assistant coach, you know, finishing off his playing time. And I learned a lot from just the way he prepared himself and how hard he worked and how hard he played. Like he was thirty eight years old or something like that at the time, and he was our best player by far. He was amazing. Uh, Van Owen, I I played against him in the Western League. I think I, fuck, I think I fought him his first fight in the Western League when he was Brandon. And yeah, good guy. He had a heck of a run himself too. Oh, that that year was just the end of that year was great because I wasn't good enough or whatever. Not good enough, but just the way that the things work out. Um, you know, with contract wise and stuff. Not not good enough to play there during the year, but good enough to play. You know, pretty much every game all the way to the college cup or college cup final. Eh? And and just had a hell of a run and. and you know, we wound up losing to Providence, who had one of probably the best teams the American League has ever had that year. And the reason I know that is I got to play with those guys the next, you know, soon after that. Um, and the reason I got to play with those guys and got a contract from those guys is how well I played and, and how well we did against those guys with, with our team in Rochester, which wasn't, you know, going to the other side and seeing how good that team in Providence was, that we didn't have a chance to beat them. But we, we give them a run for their money, that's for sure. It was close, and it was just, it was awesome playing hockey in the the end of June. Like we were, they handed out the Calder Cup to those buggers uh, ten days after they handed out the Stanley Cup. So we were the only thing going in hockey for a while that year. And you know, playing hockey in June and golfing every day and drinking beer with the boys on patios and just it was a great experience, absolutely awesome experience. And that year out. No, absolutely. And well, like you said, the following year you signed with Providence. Uh, 99, 2000, but again, you spend, uh, the majority of the season, uh, you know, back in Richmond. Yeah. It all comes back to Richmond somehow. I don't know how the hell that works, that place, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, after that, that run was over with Rochester, I figured I'd, you know, get a chance with Rochester again to re-sign with them or maybe even with Buffalo. There was some talk about that, but at the end of the summer, there was just no room, no room with contracts. And I was honestly, I was, fucking frustrated and pissed off because i'd kind of done whatever i could like they at different times when i was with rochester like hey you want to play on the second line you can play on the power play and stand in front of the net because nobody else will do it you can kill penalties you can fight all the tough guys in the league but when it comes to contract time no we don't need you when it comes to playoff time when it's really important we need you but regular season or money you know you kind of piss off so I was like, well, help. I'm going to go to Richmond because they offered me a, a really good deal there. They offered me a deal to be a player assistant coach, pay me like twice as much as I was making in the American League the year before. And two of my brothers had turned pro there. Danny and Joe were both going there, committed to go there. Joe played there the year before. Dan played a little bit of playoffs uh, the year before there too. So I'm like, 
well, hell, that'd be a great experience. All three of us get to play together and, you know, 3,000 miles away from home, play pro together, get paid together, live life together. And it was, uh, you know, the most fun year of hockey that I don't, I think that anybody could have. We're all single and high, high flying, having fun down there and just enjoying life. And it was a great, great place to play hockey. And we had a, had a great coach, great team. And we all had, uh, had a hell of a year, that's for sure. Was Rod Langway assistant coach there? Yeah, he was. Rod played a few games too. At like fucking forty five years old and was the best player on the ice. No helmet. He still didn't have to wear a bucket because he was still grandfathered in. Nice. Nice. And, and Rod Rod would practice with everybody all the time. He was oh man, what a what a fun guy. He could, I know why he's been divorced five or six times and has kids all over the country, but he is a gem, an absolute gem and just a, a freak of nature physically. Eh? Like he went to school at university of New Hampshire to play football and decided to play hockey too. And then became a all American and a all-star and a hall of famer and everything else like that. Just he's amazing. And I've never seen a man drink Bud Light like that in my life. They look like they are like pill bottles in his hand and he drinks them like they're nothing. You go golfing with Rod, you have to drink a beer to hold. And if you don't, you're going to wait on the tee box until you finish your beer. Oh. So you need to get a fucking cab home from the fucking <laughs> golf course every time. But no, it's just amazing. And his, how he helped all those young defensemen, how to, how to be better players and how made us all be better pros, be able to drink beer and play hockey is the best of your abilities for sure. But, but seriously, how to be a good pro, Rod was awesome. He was amazing. He's just an amazing talent, just a just a freak, and what just a beautiful guy. Love Langer. Well, like you said, your brothers are there. You have a hell of a year: fifty-eight games, thirty-one goals, four hundred fifty-seven minutes. I mean, shit's going on every time you're on the ice. Yeah, that was like I say, that was about as much fun as you could have playing hockey. Ryan Kraft is my centerman. Like Crafty's from uh, from Moorhead, there from Minnesota, just beside Fargo, and. You know, he's a hell of a player in junior and like, I don't know what he was doing in the, or in college, sorry, but I don't know how the hell he was playing in the East Coast League ever. Like, he played a bunch of games in San Jose and played in Europe. Like, he is just an amazing, amazing hockey player. And him and I just clicked right away. We got put together. Mark Kaufman, our coach, put us together. So you look after him, make sure nobody touches him and he'll get you the puck. And he got me the puck a lot. And brother Joe, he's a hell of a player on the back end defenseman and running our power play. And he just, him and I always had lots of great chemistry playing together as kids and whatnot. And he just flowed in muffins from the point and I'd tip pucks in all the time and scored a whole bunch of power play goals and just had an absolute fucking blast playing hockey that year. It was great. And playing down in the South and you're winning and you're having fun and you're fighting and doing good doing that. Fans loved us. It was, uh, just an amazing experience all the way around. Well, yeah, I get to play with two of your brothers. Like, who the hell gets to do that? Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So the, it's, it's the, the Vandermeers are running around down there, and I mean, you had a couple other tough dudes in that team. Uh, one, Steve Demonsky, and then the other one, Trevor Sen. Oh yeah, Dahmer is just awesome human being. Great guy. He's and tough as fucking nails. Like, just super tough. And that was another thing with that team. Like, we had a whole pack, eh? We had big Kevin Knopf as our captain down there, a Western leader that's got more rings than, than just about anybody. Tough guy, too, on our back end. And then we had center. Like, that little 
animal would just terrify everybody in the league. And he's like five foot nine, not even 200 pounds and just absolutely bananas. Okay. If you get through any of the rest of this, we're going to sick this Tasmanian devil on you and you're all dead. So everybody, it was just fun. My brother Danny was tough as nails too, lefty and he beat the shit out of all kinds of guys down there that year. We just had fun. We beat everybody up and won all the games. And, just at the end of the year, got matched up against a team that had her number all year at Trenton, and they just kind of locked us down and trapped like they were just, oh, they just frustrated us in our offense, and we wound up losing in the first round, so then uh, we wound up getting drunk for a few days, and I got a call from Pete LaViolette in Providence saying, hey, you guys are done. You might as well come up here and play playoffs with us. And I'm like, what? Okay. Away we go. So that's well, kind of... Well- before we leave the East, that year, anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, but before we leave the East Coast League, I have to because I don't think you ever go back to the East Coast League. Well, kind of a little bit towards the end, but but uh, I have to ask you because everybody has one. Of course, legendary. You, you kind of mentioned him briefly, but in Hampton Roads, Brophy is coaching. Yeah. Did you have any, Did you have any run-ins with Brophy? Well, lots of him, like, he wanted to kill me all the time. Like, he, I think he was like that with most guys that frustrated his teams and shit like that. And, and we played those guys all the time, right? Yeah. Like, in Richmond, that was the big big rivalry, right? But bro painted my guts and yell and scream. And he run across the ice in his cowboy boots trying to fucking get at us and all kinds. Just nonstop, just crazy, right? Like, and new guys that, that played for him and stuff, and they tell all those same stories that, that you've had told on your on your podcast and stuff where, you know, we bag skate the guys after games. So I'm like junior stuff, right? Like we used to have that happen. You come out off the road and you lost the game where you shouldn't. And then, okay, put, don't hang them up, put them back on and bag skate you after games and stuff in front of the hometown crowd. Like heard all those stories. Eh? But that's the stuff that happened in junior. And it was crazy then, but as a professional, like there's lots of guys who just said piss on it and would leave and quit on them. But the guys that, that played hard for him. He looked after him and got him to places they needed to be too. Eh? But, but the biggest thing with him was just yelling and screaming and trying to get at me a few different times in his cowboy boots on the ice where I thought he was going to fall down and kill himself. But, but yeah, he was, he was a character. You knew he was in the building and he was, he, he's at his advantage. Eh? Like everybody be worried about him instead of worried about what was going on in the ice too. Right. Like it was all, it wasn't just uh, for show. There was always a purpose behind it. Right. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, and of course, speaking of, I know you guys played Hampton Roads all the time, so of course, I think you ended up fighting this guy five times that year, was Louis Bedard. Yeah, old Louis, like, I don't, Louis would never quit, eh? Like, you'd beat, you couldn't, like, knock him out or anything, but you'd fight him, and he'd cut him, and he'd cut him, and he'd cut him, and he'd come right back over. Like, he'd be waiting for you at the penalty box. He'd be like, let's go again, let's go again, let's go again. To everybody, like, Louis, like, you're not, this isn't doing any good. You're not beating me up. You're not intimidating anybody. You're just, you're taking me off the ice for a bunch of time. And, and that that year was probably one of the only years ever where my coach was like, Hey, you can't go off the ice for something. We need you on the ice. Like, you know, it was kind of that change because you scored a lot of goals and got lots of assists and did lots of good things on, on the power play, especially, right? Like to stand in front of the net back then was not a nice thing. And, I got a little bit more room because I was willing to fight whoever was cross-checking me in the back of the neck. But as soon as the puck went in the corner, I get to, uh, you get to cross-check the defenseman in the back of the neck and in the back and the shot and in the legs and stuff. I knew it was coming once the puck rotated up, but but I was half-assed valuable there. So I'd get told, like, you can't fight Louie till the end of the game. You can't fight Louie till the end of the game. So 
do that. But he wasn't afraid of anybody, that's for sure. And Broke would send him back out there, send him back out there. I think he grew quite a bit after that. He might have had some vitamins in him as well after that before he went back to Quebec and stuff. But did that stuff for a long time there. But he he wasn't super big back then, like you know, size wise and stuff like that. But always a gamer, that's for damn sure. Yeah. Well, and then, like you said, you get called up by Laviolette there for the playoffs at the end. And, uh, you know, the um, I was going to say the, uh, the the following year, um, you, you, when you signed with Providence, um, you, you spent the entire year there in the American League. Uh, you played the 62 games, had a, hell of a, had a hell of a season, 19 goals, 240 minutes. Did, were you in Bruins camp before that? Nope. I was on six twenty-five game tryout contracts. Five, was it five, I think it was five. Five PTOs I was on there, and got sent down on paper a bunch of times too, but never actually went anywhere. Just for money wise and contract wise, and I scored those nineteen goals before Christmas. Didn't score another one after Christmas. <laughs> I was having hell of a start to the year, and then Boston sent some guys down. I got and. Jeremy Reach fucking broke two of my ribs in a fight with him in Providence one night, and I couldn't not play because I was on these stupid PTOs. If I was hurt, I was getting sent down, so I fucking kind of battled through some broken ribs for half the year. But my ice time went from playing like every power play, I would stay on the ice for two minutes, just go to the front of the net and battle for two minutes in front of the net, and then like play third and fourth line the rest of the game. But power play, I'd just go and stand in front of the net and take fucking beating and give a beating and tip pucks in and then then just kind of scrap the rest of the time but yeah after christmas there they sent uh landon wilson down uh, elias abrahamson and they sent up anyway they sent a bunch of guys down from from boston and my ice time just got mixed in to nothing until playoff time came around again just one of those kind of deals where i had opportunity for for a lot of that year to to do a job and and did it, and then didn't get kind of had that taken away from me until playoff time came around and got to do it again. So that's kind of how that went. Yeah. Well, like you said, you had some characters there. I mean, you know, you're back there with, uh, you know, Jay, Jay Henderson's back there and Keith McCambridge. And uh, I know even Jason Renard was there for 11 games and yeah. Chad, and Chad yeah, Cabana. Yeah. 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 All kinds of guys that like, Providence there went through guys like crazy. They'd bring guys in and out all the time, especially when Lobby was there. Like Lobby started in in the East Coast, coach I that he'd call up were guys that weren't under contract. He he was he'd bring guys up out of the out of the coast and play them and play them regular shifts and stuff too to give them a chance. Like he was really big on that, and he was really big at telling Boston to kind of go fuck their hat at times because. As long as the guys worked out, it was good. But he'd run guys through there all the time and give guys chances, which was awesome. And that, that I'm a prime example of that. Like, I didn't have a contract or anything, and he played the shit out of me as much as he could. And you know, a lot of respect for him. I'm really thankful that he did that because without that, I, I probably would have just went back to the coast or you know had tryouts. But he really gave me a chance to play for real in the American League, and it was a lot of fun. And like. Yeah, having Big Mac there on the point there of Keith McCambridge, he is top as nails, one of the best guys I've ever played with, and just an awesome teammate. And, and we had some really good guys there, like like Aaron Downey was there too, just a absolute gem of a human being and a great guy. And you know, I think he cloned himself to make Sean Thornton too, is the same person pretty much. Yeah, but 
yeah, it was it, it was just it was a neat time, a neat experience, and a, and a great place to play. Like just awesome, awesome town. Like if you want to eat and drink, that's the town to go to. Like she's kind of a dump. You get off the the beaten path there, but for food and wine there, oh my god, that's where I learned how to really fill my face. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and then well, and then speaking of uh, hockey towns. The next year, it's uh, you know your your uh, you know the three years the next three years you spend in Philly with the Phantoms and uh, yeah, holy shit, are we only at that now? Yeah, this is going on for a long time. Oh, you're, we're talking a long oh, time, shit. man. We're 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 in Philly yeah. here for the three for the three years. But uh, and now, did you go to Flyer Camp? Yes, I did. That was the first my first NHL contract assigned was with the Flyers that year. Yeah. And my brother Jim, who just won a Memorial Cup in Red Deer with the for Brent Sutter there, he'd signed uh, Johnny Chapman there, the famed Western League scout there. He he loved Jim there and how he played, and and he always liked how I played as well too. And figured, well, if you're going to have one of those idiots there, you might as well have another one. And yeah, I got a chance to play with another one of my brothers, and but this time it was for for quite a while for about two and a half years. We played together, and that was. What a time! What a place to play! What uh, what a great setup it is there too, or or how how it used to be there with the, with the two rinks. We practice at the same facility out in New Jersey together. All the guys lived together. Uh, the the big club and the American League team. Everybody interacted um, all the time. Uh, our East Coast League affiliate was in Trenton. It's only half an hour down the road too from from Voorhees, and everybody got together. Everybody's part of an organization. Everybody felt. Like you're part of that that family, and and we got to play to the spectrum to sell out crowds all the time, and we had one of the toughest band of complete morons on the planet, and we loved it. It was absolutely amazing time to play hockey. Yeah, well, let, well, we'll start. So you, you first of all, you go to flyer camp, and I mean, and this is where I mean, you got Roenick and Recky and Leclerc and Primo. Um, but you're also, in terms of, you know, you're a tough guy and you're coming into camp. Well, you got Fedora McAllister and Donald Brashear. Did you, uh, did you and Brash ever get after it? No, we didn't. It, you know, it was at that time there where, hey, nobody's fighting anybody in camp and like nobody did, like all the Western League guys, like we all know what we're doing. And it was the one, one of the things I really didn't like about Philly there it was like, you go there and they they make you be there like all summer and work out six days a week with Jimmy McCrossin, who's their strength and conditioning guy. He's one of the, again, just an amazing human being, but a real taskmaster. And you're working out six days a week, and swimming in the pool with weight vests and running track at six in the morning for six days a week. And every summer it's like, yeah, all the spots are open, no spots are guaranteed. And then you do this stuff for you know, like a European camp, like eight, nine weeks of this, this summer training your ass off and become just amazing shape, just be in amazing shape and an actual athlete and all that sort of stuff. And then you show up first day of camp, okay, flyers on this side, fans on this side, piss off, we'll call you when we need you for guys to practice. It was like, it was so disheartening. Hey, you put all this work in, like, no, three guys are going to go up today and practice with the big club. And then... You know, three days later, yeah, three more guys, and like it was nobody. It wasn't a camp at all. It was okay, just get ready to play on your American League team, sort of deal, right? But anyways, that being said, I, I did hang out with those guys, you know, especially Fridge and and Mac, like just you know, great guys, Western League guys. You know, we're all the same, cut out of the same sort of cloth. 
And then I actually got along really good with Brash. And actually, you know, I don't, I've heard lots of guys not like him or whatever. I never really played with him, but I went to two training camps with him and he always got along with me probably because nobody else liked him, I guess, or I don't know what, but he always wanted to hang out and drink beer with me. So I got to ride around in the yellow Lamborghini a few times and <laughs> shoot shit with him and always got along really good with him. Anyways, I was with him there. And then uh, later on in my career in Washington, well, I was going to say, uh, you're- but yeah, no, no fighting though. No, you never fought him. All right. Nope. Nope, sorry to dis- long story to disappoint you there. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, and then of course the Phantoms. I mean, your team there. I mean, Jesus, you know, Bullerys, yeah, Francis Lassard, Greg Brunel. Uh, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys could rumble if you needed to. Uh, <laughs> we've heard story. What was Francis like, old Frankie Lassard? I can still have nightmares of Frankie strangling his feet with a sock tape. Yeah. He used a full roll of sock tape on each foot, like, and you could hear him coming from 10 miles away. He was so French and so dumb. I'm not saying both those are two separate things. He's just, and he was very jacked, maybe chemically induced as well, but he, he was an animal. He just threw laps a thousand miles an hour. One after another, and you couldn't hurt them, eh? Like we we did play at one um, exhibition game against I think it was the Islanders team or Bridgeport, whatever jerseys we were wearing, but it was supposed to be an NHL exhibition game, but it was really us versus Bridgeport. And I think it was it Goddard fucking okay. yep. drilled him right in the end of the chin, it split his like hit him like fucking broke his jaw like the Predator, eh? Like broke it wide open, and he comes to the bench, he goes, "My teeth, my teeth! I think I broke my teeth." No, Frank, your jaw's broken right in half, and I can see into your head. No, I go back. I fight him right now. I go right back. Oh, Frank, you can't. You're broken. But he was, you couldn't hurt him. You hit him over the head with 10 two-by-fours, and you wouldn't hurt him. He was good to have on your team, but you didn't know. At least once a week in practice, he'd run over somebody, like going the wrong way in a drill, and fucking demolish him because he was, fuck, like 250 pounds. Going and he would could absolutely fly like fast as the wind, but no idea where he was going ever. It was just kind of wind him up and turn him loose and see what happens, sort of deal. Good to have on your team, but terrible to play against, that's for sure. <laughs> and well, and then of course, old, old Brunel, there's an old Western leaguer, yeah. Bruno, I, I lived with Bruno one year actually, too. And we had many, many adventures together. Oh, what a beautiful human being. Love that guy. Absolutely love him. I think he's firefighting uh, up north, I think, actually, now. I in Alberta here. But I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he just, I had so much fun with him and just tough and, would, you yeah, know, like, just a good, solid Western leader, right? Do whatever was asked of him and not complain about it. And, yeah, just a really, really good teammate. He'd do anything. He's the guy you want coming, bailing you out of the bar fight or out of jail or on the ice or wherever. He's done all of that for me, so. He's a good guy. Yeah. Did you have any interaction with Hitchcock at all? Uh, not too much. They're really like, no. We could hear him screaming from the other the other practice rink all the time and that voice all the time. And, and Fridgey does the best. I'm sure you've probably heard before, like Todd Vidoric does the best. He would do his imitation of him all the time, like throughout the year. Like, And I know Hitchcock heard him all the time too. And it was just, it was so funny. And those Itchy was so 
I shouldn't say I didn't have any interaction. We did have quite a bit. Like we do practices and stuff together on both sides all the time and and whatnot. Because the practice rink was just two rinks side by side, just like every you know twin ice surface rink. We just had the whole back end of it for our rooms. But his voice and how guys they respected his knowledge, but they didn't respect him as a person. Does that make any sense? Yep. Like he is one of the most intelligent human beings you'll ever come across, but. It, way he deals with people probably isn't the best and guys don't like him real quick so i don't know that that's just kind of my thoughts on him for a little bit of time that i was around him like he was really good at putting people down and people didn't like that so yeah well there you go but he knows what he's talking about tactically anyways yeah well well, so your three seasons in, in Philly, you get 300 minutes every year, you get 30 fights every year, and I mean, um, yeah, I just have to, a couple of the names I want to ask you about, because I know uh, you, you you fought a couple guys, and of course they're, you know, they're synonymous, their names, and of course one of them is uh, Trevor Gillies. Yeah, old Gillies, him and I had some real good battles, last fight I ever had in the American League was against Gillies there, and we became really good buddies uh, again through excuse me, through the union and stuff like that, that spent a lot of time trying to do some stuff to help, uh, you know, the group of players out, like the whole group in the American League and the guys in the coast, and did a lot of stuff that way, but he knew his job, and I knew my job, and we butt head, butted heads out there, and then the first guy I go for beer with afterwards, like just a, a great human being and a great teammate, and just tough as nails. Love fighting them, though. We'd, we'd have just good, absolute good battles. Yeah. Then I go for a beer. Yeah, there you go. And another guy that you fought three times one year, Brian McGratton, Big Earn. Oh, Big Earn. Yeah, that's about as big and tough as it gets, that big bastard. It's And, and I know I've said this on some of the other guys' podcasts that I've talked to and stuff. I was really lucky that for my own personal well-being, I guess, that I got a lot of these guys when they were young, when they were up and coming, and they really didn't you know, have their total package together on fighting where – I was a little bit older and was as good as I could be at fighting. And maybe at that time I was just good enough not to get pounded into the dirt by these guys where if I would have fought them, you know, a couple of years later, or three or four years later, they would have absolutely rip my head off and shit down the hole. But I got a lot of these guys when they were younger and, and if not did well against them, did get embarrassed by them. So it always looks good on all the, all the stat sheets and anytime somebody brings up a video or something like that, then, Oh, you fought this guy. He's a big super killer and you did. Okay. Like, yeah, that year, it would have been two years later. It would have been nothing left to me. So just kind of timing wise worked out with guys, that, guys like Gratz Cause he was a fucking killer and guys like Sugden, guys like, you know, all those guys, the, yeah. big, the big, biggest of the big there, all those guys that got them when they were young and didn't have it all figured out yet. Thank God. Well, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> well, another guy who's a minor league legend and he could drop bombs, Mad Mel Engelstad. Oh yeah, me. I actually went to camp with Mel that year back in uh, in Detroit in the International League. Yeah, I we went to camp together there. Actually, we fought in camp and had a good dust up and always kind of talk to each other when we're playing against each other here and there, and we'd fight. Same sort of thing. Just a good, solid teammate and a guy that you know. <laughs> He's on that team. I'm on this team. We're going to wind up fighting. It's just the way it is and the way you go. And we had good good bouts there. He had a big nose to, yeah. to hit, and I had a big nose to hit, and we're both good at that. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we had good battles for sure. 
So when uh, I forgot to ask you, even, oh, go ahead. I think we even played against. I think we even fought each other in the U-Haul. Like he was in Thunder Bay that one year too, actually. Yes, but anyways, him and Rammer. Yeah, yeah. Going to Thunder Bay that year, like you, I don't think I lasted through the first period in any game played there. You go there, getting three fights by the end of the first, and you're out drinking beer in the stands. They had tough team. Twenty. Well, what the hell was two days by bus to get to Thunder Bay from? from Binghamton because the team won't go through Canada with too many visa issues. So drive the long way around the bottom end of the Lake Michigan and all the way around the lakes and go up there, take two days by bus to get the shit beat out of you three times and then get back on the bus and go home. Anyway, yeah. that's good, another story. Good times the miners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, in your final year in Philly, I got to ask you, cause you have a couple of interesting teammates, um, PJ stock and the chief. Baruby. Yeah, we're aligned. We played in a line together for I know. About 15 games that year. That's fucking ha- that was the most, that, that might have been the most damn fun playing hockey. That was no hit hockey with the three of us on the ice together. Nobody would come within 100 feet of any of us. Because if you got through Stalker, Stalker just yell and scream and chirp the entire time to everybody, whether it was on your own bench at the other team, at the refs, at the crowd, at everybody. Like, you just would not shut up. And, but then could back everything up. And then if you got through him, then you'd have to deal with me. And then if you got through me, well, then you got to deal with Chief. And Chief loved beating the shit out of kids. He was 40 years old and loved beating up kids. It was amazing. Well, it was so much too. fun. And he could still do oh, he, he could still do it right now. Like, he is, you don't know how big that guy is. Like, even watching on, you know, old fights and old, you know, games they put on while this, COVID's going on, like all the classic shows or yep. uh, games they put on. You see Chief out there once in a while. Like, he doesn't look that big on the ice. He is a monster. Like, he is huge. And he was in great shape and just loved beating up kids. It was so much fun playing with him. And I learned so much more just to be a good teammate and just reinforcing all the good things that I've been taught by so many people along the way coming from him. And and he loved playing with us, like absolutely loved it. He just go on and on about you know how much we reinvigorated him because like he didn't play every game, right? Because he was getting into the coaching side of things, and he probably played half of the games that year. And he was just he was such a good teammate, and so much fun to be around, and he loved being around us because he'd say all the time, like you know, it's still the minors here, you're not stuffy and trying to be a robot and do exactly what you're told and worry about everything you say and do, like, you know, down the hallway in, in the show, you can still be yourself and have a little bit of fun. And, you know, we like to drink a little bit more beer and stay out a little bit later than the guys, guys with the flyers did. And he enjoyed that too, especially on the road and, you know, just kind of be a kid again. Right. So we, I had so much fun playing with Chief. It was, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. There, there was a story. They were on the bus, and somebody yelled at him from the back of the bus. You know, hey, chief, how come you never threw a left hand? And the, he, he, all he replied was, "I never needed to. Yeah, never had to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And chief, chief is awesome. He's still the same. Like he's really good on TV and stuff like that with his interviews and stuff like that. So one on one, like he's always just intimidate the fuck out of you. Like just like stare you down, big scary Indian, like just muscle on top of muscle, and just stone-cold killer face and just fucking try to fucking cut you down. And as soon as you would say, fuck off, Chief, I'm not taking that, 
he would love you forever and do anything for you. Like you just push, 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 push just to see and just the biggest, nicest, hardest, hardest person underneath, but just got the big fucking steel exterior and just an amazing human being. And I just, I count myself really lucky to be, to play that time with him and to consider him a friend, like, and just so proud and happy of, of what's going on there in St. Louis. Like, it's just, it's amazing. Cause he is an amazing person, a great guy. And just, he's just such a good communicator and a good guy. He did the hardest job in the world forever. And if he asks you to do something, it's like, well, fuck yeah, I'm a loser if I can't do that. Cause he's done it all before too. Does that yes. make any sense? Well, yeah. So you, you were like not surprised. You're not surprised by his coaching success at all. No, he was, he was awesome. It was just a matter of him getting a chance and like, and, and talk the same way. And they're, they're buddies. They, him and Rick talk yep. their time in Philly and, and they're the same kind of guy, right? They're just, they're straightforward. They're honest. And that is the, the biggest thing that, you know, everybody that played pro forever was, you know, like teams won't tell you what they want or what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. Like they just, no, get out of here. You know what I mean? Like the communication really was never there. Yeah. We're, Teeth and talk the same way. Like, hey, if you do this, you're going to get rewarded. If you do this, you're going to get punished. Like, and this is, if you can't do this, this is how you get better. And if you can't get better, you know, like, it's just, it's all open and honest. Like, and it makes everything so easy. If you know what's expected of you, you go do it. If you can't do it, you'll find a way to do it. You know what I mean? If you can't find a way to do it, well, then you shouldn't be there. So, yeah. But just that community, that communication and everybody respects him. So, it's easy to, to do what he says. You're not going to question it. Like, yeah, fucking rights chief, I'll do that for you. Because, you know, he'd do that for you. Well, that's the thing, right? He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done. So exactly, that's where the respect factor comes in. Yeah. But, uh, well, another guy, before we leave Philly, I have to ask you, because he's a former guest, a good dude, Saskatchewan boy, and I know he's listening, Les Borsheim. Oh, Lester the Molester was awesome. Fuck, we had a, had a lot of fun with Les. And he was fucking tough as nails, that fucker. Yep. Tough, tough. Great guy. Great teammate. You know, biggest battle he's got going on right now. That's something else. And it's amazing how he's come back to what he has already. And he'll continue to keep getting better all the time. And I got to find a way to track him down and, and go, go see him down there in the States. Or, I, we had a lot of fun with the last. Like, he was just, he was a great teammate. And yeah. And that guy, another guy to have on your team is a tough guy. Like, holy shit, we were beyond stacked. Oh, yeah. Beyond stacked. And we, and we had so much fun at the rink. We had so much fun away from the rink. Like, there are lots of places in South Philly and, and South Jersey that, that love seeing the Phantoms roll in because everybody had lots of money. Everybody wanted to drink a lot of beer and chase a lot of girls. And we had a lot of fun in that neck of the woods, all of us together. Like, it was just, it was fun. And we had good teams, and we had tough teams, and yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty neat time. That's for damn sure. We worked hard and we played hard. That's for sure. There you go. Well, the following year is the lockout, and you end up signing with the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, of course, you spend the year in the with the Grand Rapids Griffins, and um, well, obviously, it's a stupid question, but I mean, how frustrating was the lockout? Obviously, yeah, yeah, for everybody, and, and that's. You know, after not really getting a, a shot in, in Philly with the Flyers there at all, like, I, you know, they they offered me another deal to go back there and stuff like that, but, like, told me there's no way, like, I'm going to play there. 
to the Flyers. Like, you know, Paul Holmgren, he was pretty honest with me. Like, hey, we don't have plans for you here, but we'd love to have you as an assistant coach if you want to quit playing. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I'm in my 20s here coaching, which maybe I should have t- jumped to that opportunity then. It would have been a good idea. But at the same time, too, I was still chasing that, you know, that one game in the NHL, right? And, I, mm-hmm. you know, we had good teams and good years there in Philly, and I knew I could do my job. You know, whatever they wanted me to do, I could do it there, but I still was chasing the game. So I signed the deal with, uh, with Detroit and, you know, uh, they worked a guarantee into my contract day. Eh? Like, you know, if you, if I didn't play a game in the NHL that year, then I was guaranteed X number more tens of thousands of dollars just to not. So that, that was a mechanism a lot of guys worked into their deals in order to guarantee NHL games into their contract, right? Like, okay, I'll, I'll sign a real low deal in in the American League, but I've got a guarantee on my contract. So you got me for cheap, but you're probably going to have to call me up. Otherwise, you're just writing me a check at the end of the year, right? Yep. So anyways, I had, I had one of those deals in my contract days. So I figured, well, fuck, for sure, I'm playing a game in, in Detroit this year. Like, how great is that? And it was the same as my approach has been since I was a kid and junior, right? Like, if I can get there for one day, well, then maybe I can stay for another day, and maybe I can stay for another day. And that was always my my idea, my goal to get into Detroit. Like, at that time, right, they're, you know, going to playoffs every year for 25 years in a row. And, you know, Stevie Eiserman's playing there. All these guys, you know, Chelios, Hatcher, all these guys are playing there. I'm like, fuck, wouldn't that be cool to play a game with those guys? So the year starts, there's no training camps, right? And they usually have the, this big deal up at Traverse City where they have all the the prospects and all that camp. So they didn't even have that go on that year. We just go straight to Grand Rapids and play. But Scotty Bowman's there all the time helping out with practice. And, you know, um, Ken Holland and Jimmy Nell are there all the time, and, you know, talking. Like, I love that about that organization. Like, I go and talk to Ken Holland like I'm talking to you. I can talk to Jim Nell just like I'm talking to you. Maybe not Scotty the same way, but those other two, like, just want to shoot the shit and see how you're doing and what's going on. And it was... It was a great experience that way, but yeah, very frustrating that, that our team, which was, we had a stacked team that wanted to not make a playoff, but, but we had a bunch of players that fit right into the Detroit system, right in with the Red Wings the next year after that stupid lockout was, was done. But we had a good team and we had a lot of fun that year too. Did some scrapping and had a good time. Well, Okay, I know you talked about it on the on Spit and Chicklets, but i got to ask you about this because I, I, I laugh so hard. <laughs> Who was the one? Who was the guy that had the personal assistant named Chugger? Oh, a Hoodler! Fucking yeah. Yuri Hoodler! Yeah. Well, oh, the- yeah. Like she did his laundry, she paid his bills. Like, and she wasn't like a girl from Czech or something. He was just she was some girl that was a fan and and liked hoods. And he he had her just he she was kind of his slave, and he paid her money here and there whenever. And, He'd, he'd hook her up with one of the boys every once in a while just to keep her happy and hungry. And Oh, God, it was something else. We lived in this building, eh? it was just a big rectangle, and we had naked scooter races, naked bike races. Like, just once the lockout hit, for sure, like it was for the rest of the year, like everybody just went on tilt. Everybody was, okay, we're not going to the NHL, we're just going to have fun. And everybody had way too much money, and partied hard enough to not make playoffs that year with a team that should have been challenging for a, for a cup. Well, and then the crazy Big thing is... time and money and talent, but whatever. Well, then the crazy thing is, is the Phantoms won the cup. 
Yeah, exactly. Wherever I leave, they win the next year. I know. It's happened a few times. Yeah, I, know. I, I was. I forgot to bring it up with the Providence thing, but yeah, it. Uh, or no, it's the year after. Yeah, but it's. Uh, well, well, <laughs> well. It was Chugger because she could she could diesel a beer faster than anybody, wasn't it? Yeah, anybody. Unbelievable! Like one of the first days I was there, like, hey, can you beat her in a a beer drinking contest? So like, like she like a little girl. Like, yeah, of course, no problem. I didn't even get my beer to my lips, and it, hers was gone. Like, what the fuck happened there? Like, I thought it was a like a magic trick, you know? Like somebody had some mirror set up or something. There's no way that she could do that. But it was amazing. She'd bury everybody, not even a chance. And she'd do like ten of them in a row and not even be affected. It was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, another couple characters in that team I have to ask you about. Well, I'll get to him later. Ryan Barnes, first of all. Yeah, Barney is a good teammate. He is tough. Yep. Fight everybody, do anything for the team. Like he was, and he was a good player too. Like, yeah, he was part of that Detroit organization for a while. And yeah, he was he was a really good teammate. He he'd fight anybody. He didn't care at all. He was good, good player, good teammate. Absolutely. I always wanted to see him get some time in Detroit. I was always mad they didn't give him time. But uh, yeah, I really thought he should too. And like he, side, so he was part of that whole DLA with the that Trashers teammate in the U-Haul. That the, yeah, like he had his wife was they had the wife his wife working for him and everything. And like they called him, like, get the fuck out of here because the cop like the FBI was coming down the road where they got out of town because he was like being a player assistant there and they were paying him during the summer and it was all. Just shade and the the owner, the GM, like the owner's kid or whatever, like called up and get out of town now. And they fucking loaded up and pulled out of town as the FBI was pulling into the the junkyard where the offices were and stuff. They had just went back to Ontario and said, fuck and see you later. <laughs> yeah, hopefully there's supposed to be, I think there's a movie coming out about the trashers. I Yeah. Oh. That- that could be interesting. Yeah, the stories of that team. I'd love to have Barnes on here. I'd love to ask him about all that shit. Yeah, because he knows all in and you know, like I, not the criminal activity or anything, but just he he has stories for days about how they ran that team. Oh yeah, and how different things went on there. That was just that's just not that that wasn't happening anywhere else in the world. No, in the world. No, no, no. Not it was like, it was like one of those. It was like an LNAH team, basically, but getting run in the in the states in the in the U, in the United League. Yeah, just whatever. However, they're funneling money through that. It was all beyond yeah. shady, right? Yeah. Well, another guy on that Grand Rapids team that uh, unbelievable talent, and you you talked about him briefly on the on the spit and chiglets, but as of course, I got to ask <clears throat> Daryl Bootland. Like I said on that thing too, if Booter spent half as much time thinking about hockey as he did about how to pick up chicks or do whatever with the ladies when he was playing, he'd be a Hall of Famer in the NHL. Because there's he spent 35 hours a day figuring out how to get girls back to the house and did. It was insane. It was absolutely nuts. And I lived with him. Like, oh, it was something else. But he was a good player and he was tough. Like, he was good. Yeah, he just spent his whole thing was about chasing tail. That was his priority number one, two, and three. But he was a good player, good guy, good te- you know for the most part a good teammate. But yeah, it was it was all about the chicks. That's for sure with him. Had a lot of fun, no doubt about it. But but like Booter, like 
good skill, great shot, got around the ice pretty decent. And like fighting wise, like he he was smart about it. Eh? Like there's guys that I'm dumb. I would just go and fight whoever. He would he would pick his spots a little bit. Eh? And sometimes that you know it pisses his guys off and stuff. But he was a good enough player where he didn't need to be fighting all the time anyways. But he would pick the spots and he would make sure he got his penalty minutes. He'd get his totals up. Eh? It was all about <laughs> looking good, right? Was was more than than being a great teammate. Was making sure that Booter got looked after a little bit too. But at the end of the day, he he was very valuable on our team, and and he's a good buddy of mine. Like had a lot of fun with him. That's for sure. Well, the uh, well, I know I'm, I'm keeping you here long. We're we're breaking down everything. I know I'm I'm uh, you know we're 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 running long here, but uh, I'm I'm digging this, but. Uh, I got so the following year though you go to the Hamilton Bulldogs it's the Montreal Canadiens organization and of course let you know obviously one of the original teams in the NHL um what was it like being a part of that organization it was, it was absolutely amazing and you know growing up out west there you're not supposed to like the you know the Canadians and the French and all that stuff and yep. whatnot and it 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 more than opened my eyes to how amazing the the entire culture is and the people there and the organization was incredible. I was, you know, I was lucky enough. I signed a, signed a one-way deal there. So I was, okay, I'm finally going to get to play in the NHL here and went down early and got a, you know, got an apartment down there and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, train with the boys all summer. It was just, it was amazing. It was welcomed right in like Saku Koivu was, you know, the captain there, Craig Gervais and Sheldon Surrey, and they, they welcomed me right in. Like, I was starting to get older here at this time, right? And, and they welcomed me right in like like an old vet from the NHL, not just some scrubby guy in the minors, right? Like, just totally welcomed me in there and, and made me feel part of things right from the very beginning. And it, it was just an incredible experience until uh, they sent me down before the season started. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. What, what, no, it was super cool. Got to go and you know do the, you know their their golf tournament the summer with you have all the all the legends from from their ages. Yvonne Corm Cormay and you know the Pocket Rocket was there and all like all these guys, Guy Lafleur, like just you know legends. Whether you like the Habs or not, growing up, these guys are freaking legends. And you're out there golfing with them, and they're telling you how you know they're behind you and you're, you're part of this and. You know, it was just it was beyond beyond words. I can't describe how cool it was to be to be part of that, even though it was just for a little while. Just to be to be welcomed in there and to be part of that for a little while felt pretty damn special. No, absolutely, and um, I think Julian was the coach, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Claude, he, he was really he was great to me uh, the whole time I was there and, and whatnot. Said nothing but great things to say about me, and then just wound up being they wanted to keep they had. Me on one way, and Raidus Ivana is on two way, and they wanted to start Raidus the start of the year, and okay, go to Hamilton just you know for a couple of weeks, get this sorted out, and then you'll be right back up here. Heard that story before. Raidus got broken by by Char his first fight. Char hit him twice, broke his orbital and his jaw on one side, and broke his orbital on the other side with two punches, and then Raidus wound up uh, doing his rehab and played with. We played together for the rest of the year, and they. They wound up going to Montreal with absolutely no toughness at all, and you know got swept first round. So, yep. Maybe they should have kept one or both of us. Would have helped out, or maybe not at all. But that's, who knows? But yeah, they they went that direction. That's where they went. So we played together in, in Hamilton all year and had a lot of fun with the 
with a big Latvian down there. Holy Christ, what a huge human being. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's yeah, that's a big dude right there. Um, well, so I get the following year, you know, you're on the march. You're, like you said, you're in, you're in Hershey. You know, obviously, uh, you know, if, uh, well, you know, a, a real, obviously, you've been around the American League and, uh, and just a, an amazing organization from all accounts. Um, what made you sign with, uh, with Washington? And did you go to, did you go to camp in Washington? Yeah. yeah. Money made me sign there mainly. Yeah. <laughs> signed me to another, signed a one way deal there with Washington. So I figured, oh, geez, this is good. I've got a whole bunch more money. Still no NHL more, NHL games, but should get another chance to play here. It was kind of looking for and started off camp, played exhibition games and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, got, uh, Last guy to get sent down. Like everybody says, they get they're the last guy, right? Last cut. I was actually the last guy at that time to get sent down. Those, those two years, both of them. But um, yeah, go to Hershey and yeah, play for Bruce Boudreau down there. And like yep. I talked before about communication, probably one of the best coaches I've ever had about about open communication what's going on. And and that organization is so good because uh, like Herco, you know, the chocolate factory, Hershey. They they own half the team or own most of the team. They just have their affiliation deal with Washington, but but they demand that team be a winner every year. So they sign independently a bunch of a uh, bunch of veteran guys. And if they've got too many veteran guys, they don't care. They don't care about spending a few bucks as long as they got a. They're going to have a good team there. And we were we had a great team there. Won all the time, and it was just so much fun that year playing and you know being part of somewhere you know you're going to win everything like if you lose something the other team got a couple of lucky bounces you got posed by the refs or just something weird because straight up we're going to win every night and that's how it was just so much fun to be part of a team like that and with bruce it was great because you know we had all these extra guys and stuff like that but whenever the brass would be in he'd be straight up honest okay this guy you're out of the lineup tonight because the brass is here and they want to watch this guy play. And if he plays good, he's going up. If he doesn't, he's going down. And it, like in front of everybody, like it wasn't like come in the room and we're going to tell you what's going on. It was everything. Everybody's story was open to everybody. So there was no questions. There was no worrying if somebody's trying to submarine somebody or be weird or shitty or whatever. It was all open and honest. And it was just an amazing fun year. Until I broke my leg over that shit and that shithole Binghamton, that stupid rink. Still then it was great. And that was great after that too. But I broke my other leg over that shit and had to come back from that too. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask. I'm like, yeah, obviously got hurt because he only played the 26 games. But uh, yeah, well, like you said, you had, you know, the tough team. I mean, with the tie, and of course Derek England was down there and Kip Brennan was there. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, seeing, Kip, seeing Kippy Brennan grab a fan in Manchester, yep. fan was beaking him beside the glass, <laughs> yeah. reached around the glass and bashed his head against the glass a couple of times. <laughs> oh, shit, that shit, that shit should happen more often. The fans wouldn't be so lippy. Exactly. Yeah, he got suspended for the rest. I was actually sitting in the stands with David Andrews, at, at the commissioner of the American League at the time when that happened. Well, well, Pete, what do you think we should give him for that? <laughs> I don't know. That's awesome. You should give him a raise. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna have to suspend him. <laughs> but he just laughed. Like Dave is a great guy. I did a lot of dealing with him again with the union and stuff. With dealing with Dave and just just an awesome guy and, and pretty pretty neat to be able to <laughs> to sit in the stands of the league commissioner. The guy that's gonna 
fish out suspensions, which I got lots of over the years, and still be able to sit in the stands and have a bullshit with them. It's pretty neat. But uh, Kippy, Kippy Granham was tough as nails, but he had a screw or two loose, that's for sure. Well, that was going to be my which question. Which isn't a bad thing. I've heard some stories about that guy, and I was just kind of wondering, is that, you know, yeah, like you said, he's a little off-center a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But he's, yeah, he just, once the adrenaline kicks in, and you just see the eyes roll back, and oh, he's not there anymore. Get out of the way. Yeah. One of those kind of deals. Yeah. Well, the, we got to get to it here. The, the following year, um, you know, you sign with Phoenix. Um, you're in San Antonio. You know, you play the 38 games, putting up a ton of PIMS. And then you get the call February 10th. You dress for your first uh, NHL game. Um, obviously, with Phoenix, yeah, and you got Gretzky coaching. That's kind of bizarre. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, what was Wayne like, and uh, just that whole that whole deal? Oh yeah, it was it was something else. Like we uh, we had too many veterans, right? Too many guys that played over 250 games. So I was uh, getting the short end of the stick there, getting sat out, healthy scratch lots, and. Yeah, got called in. We were actually on the road in, in Hamilton where I'd played before. Got told I was going up, and I did not believe it at all and was threatening the coaches with their lives if they're bullshitting me and all that sort of stuff there. Told that story on checklets there. But, yeah, I, I, during the summer, I talked with Don Maloney, and he you know, verbally guaranteed me you know, I'd get a chance to play a game. And he so, said, you know, we can't write it down. Like, oh, fuck, like... Is this going to happen or not? You know, you've, you've heard all these stories. You know, you've done all these deals over all the years and, you know, had promises made to you and, you know, they all fall through in one way or another, whether it's my fault or or just the way the situation was. So, okay, this is my last best chance at it. Kind of guaranteed me, you know, we'll get you up for a game. And when it finally happened, it was just that uh, I couldn't believe it, right? You've been working your whole life for something and you finally get told you're, it's going to happen. And it was, uh, yeah. Surreal is not even close enough of a word to describe it. It was just it was crazy. I had my ex wife, my my daughter Danica was just, you know, a few months old. She was there in the stands. My parents flew down. And my buddy Derek Morris who played there for a long time. His parents, his brother, their families, they're all down there. Just happened to be down there. It wasn't planned or anything, but my mom and dad flew down and you know, all my family being there, so they all got to witness this shit show together and yeah, it was it was something else. Just had too much time to think about it. We were just me and my wife Maddie were just down in Phoenix, and we're staying right beside uh, the the place I stayed when I got called up. I'm like, oh, I, it was like ten, twelve years ago. I got called up, and I stayed at that place right there, and I'm just kind of reliving those memories was something else just since last week. But but yeah, it was it was something else. And, you know, and I practiced for a couple of days. I randomly got fucking drug tested for fifth <laughs> test that day, and pass with flying colors i'm like oh my god like please don't let me have eaten a poppy seed muffin or something like that and i get all this way and i can't play because i'm fucking test wrong or something like that but anyways did a whole bunch of you know media spots and the tv and the radio like darren pangs the the color guy there so he's just going jumping around acting all crazy and excited for me and everybody was was very happy for me, but it just made me the most nervous for any hockey I've ever been part of in my life. And until I got my first shift in, I'm like, oh, fuck me. Like, this is hockey. It's easy. I can do this shit. And, and didn't make a total ass of myself and managed to, to get through a game. And, 
it was beyond cool. You got the jersey? No Did you got the jersey? Do you still have it? I got it. I got it sitting right here beside me on the wall. There we go. Right, yeah. right beside East East Coast Hockey League uh, All Star jersey. There you go. <laughs> Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was something else, and, and you know that whole lead up and the days that were part of that were something else. It was you know something I'll never forget. And the thing that actually, that made it every everything a lot better was at the end of the year they called me back up again, and I got to play a game in Dallas. Like it, well, I only played two games, but they're split up by you know by a couple months or whatever. And I got to go to Dallas, and then we got uh, the last game of the year was in Anaheim. But we went there for four days before we went straight from Dallas to Anaheim and got to spend a bunch of time with the team, got to fly home, and we, everybody got drunk on the plane on the way home last game of the year. I still got five more games to play in San Antonio when I get back, but I got to fly out the next morning. But I, you know, got tall, okay, come talk to Wayne, get to sit up in front of the plane, have vodka with Wayne, and him tell me, like, how he really appreciated my story and how neat it was that, you know, how hard I worked to get to this place. and blah 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 and hearing that come from Wayne Gretzky and he's like holy shit like that just blew my mind I grew up you know watching the Oilers my whole life you know at that time when when they were there winning everything and and having Wayne tell me you know he thought my story was great and he really appreciated everything I've done I'm like holy fuck that's Wayne Gretzky telling me I did did a good job like made me feel pretty good about myself for a little while anyways that's for sure yeah, well, like you said, man, it's the you got the two games, you know. That's two more than pretty much everybody. So it's like, uh, yeah, what what a what a story. And of course, you have you know Shane Doan's there and Jovo, and uh, yeah, what a that's cool, man. Yeah, it it was, and all those guys made it so much better like it was i was part of the team for like 10 years so like you know I'd get on the bus you know I'd get at the front of the bus or you know get on the front of the plane and like kind of him you know i'm fucking 32 years old i was like i was the oldest guy on the team and you know okay i'll get up here and stay out of everybody's way i'm like get your fucking ass back here like, what get back here quit being a loser get back here you belong back here and like holy shit like thanks guys yeah well, I mean, it, obviously they all recognized it, right? And it's like, you know, and they, they know what you went through. And, yeah, so I know that's, I mean, like you said, that's the fact that, I mean, they're showing you the respect. And I was going to ask you, like, as you've gone to the, diff, as you went to different camps and stuff and you hear different things and how organizations are run, um, was, <clears throat> and, I mean, you know, way back when you hear Don Cherry tell all the stories about going to camp and how the, you know, the, the minor league guys are treated this way and the NHL guys are that way. And I'm sure obviously it still goes on, but did you see a lot of that at the camps you were at or was it pretty much, Hey, we're all in this together or whatever. Or was there a real big separation? Uh, just different levels at different places. Like nowhere was it ever really bad. We're like, you're, Hey, fuck you. You're a second class citizen. Like, you know, like, because everybody, they had all these, all the kids were playing with like at the start uh, my career, it was, you know, every, there's only a few rookies. Like, there's hardly anybody at all, right, that was new to an organization. There's just a handful, and it was like, hey, we got to look after these kids. 
And then as it got deeper and deeper, it was like, okay, the whole team's these kids that we put all this time and money and effort and training and blah, blah, blah into. So we're, and, you know, it turned into the kid glove era too, where, okay, we got to treat everybody nicely and equally and, you know, not a lot of put people down, right? It wasn't, cause that whole change has started even, even when I was still playing junior, where, where I came in as a junior rookie, like you have all the fucking horror stories with, you know, all the hazing and all that sort of yeah. stuff and, you know, fucking all the bad shit where there's more shit coming out now, but like that shit went on everywhere, right? Yep. So we're at the end of my junior, it was like, no, like there's no, you know, there's no putting people down, there's no hot boxing guys or making them sing songs or dress up as girls or, you know, all this, it went like, hey, we're not doing any of that shit anymore. We're, we're treating each other like people, not like fucking pieces of shit. And then work your way up to a person. Okay, we're all people to start with, you know. And even even at the start of my junior, we're okay. Camp starts. Okay, it's there's 85 fights and 37 seconds of playing hockey. You know, when I was 16 and 17 to when I was 19 and 20, we're okay. No fighting in camp. And there's like one or two or three odd ones that happen. Right. We'll save our fighting for exhibition against the other teams instead of beating the shit out of each other in camp. So like that whole transition is like started by the end of my junior yeah. so that when it came to pro it was it was you know it was a lot nice let's treat each other with with a bunch of respect to start with until we show if we deserve it or not instead of the other way around does that does that make sense no absolutely yeah yeah and, and some in some places like like i was saying there about philly where the, that was very disappointing there where each year it was like, okay flyers this side phantoms this side it was not the camp it was like okay you're playing there, and if we need you, we got you. Where that really sucked because the whole organization wasn't like that. The rest, the whole rest of the deal was like, hey, we're all one group. Where every, every other camp was okay. Like, there's a big group of us, two teams worth of guys, or almost three, but we're all competing together for jobs on this one team. You know what I mean? So, yep. And then we, you know, had to throw a lockout or two in the way there, where you don't even have that. It's kind of. It's it's just weird how fast it goes and how quick things change. Like I've been done playing hockey for ten years already. Yeah, and I yeah. did that for a long time. I did it for damn near twenty years, like junior and pros, nineteen years, and now all of a sudden, I've been playing senior hockey for ten years too. Shit. Yeah, well, and then even in the ten years that you've been gone, what a change the game has made. Oh yeah, you see it every day on TV. Like well, good or bad, whatever you you like, it's it's different. It's just different, eh? and that's why I think a lot of people, like myself or maybe you too, that you know, a little bit more old school. Like, I myself, I got to think, okay, it's just different. You can't compare it. It's the same way as when I was playing. Like, I always say, like, oh, if we we played in the '80s. Like, fuck, I'd score 50 goals a year on those shitty goalies, right? But you weren't. If you were playing, then you'd be like them as well. Like, it'd be it yeah. would be different. So it's it's not apples to apples. It's, they're two yeah. different things. Comparing things that are now to the way they were then, and in some ways it's better, in some ways it's worse. The things that I like about hockey aren't aren't there as much with the emotion and the, the physicality and, and the rough play and the fighting and stuff. But there's other things that are better. But I just it's not my cup of tea so much. And I I don't I watch games like have them on in the background and stuff like that. Or you know I like watching playoff hockey, but still find myself bitching more than I find myself cheering. That makes any sense. No, no, I'm the same way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, before we wrap, I got to ask you about, in San Antonio, two of your teammates I have to ask about, both tough as shit, 
Josh Gratton, and Adam Keefe. Yeah. The Schnout, the old Gratz, he was I played against Gratz too. I think he fought Gratz too. Just a really good teammate. Fuck that guy. You couldn't hit hurt him. You couldn't hurt him. Like it was amazing the punishment that that guy took. Yeah. And it would still be standing there and just give it right back to guys. Guys would be wailing on him and then he just he'd win every fight in the second half all the time just because he couldn't put him down. He was just tough and a good teammate, good guy. And you know, like I listened to some of his stuff here lately. He's been talking to some guys and been through some tough times, which a lot of guys that do this job do. You know, you get your head smacked around for a lot of years. You're you're probably not all right, and you do a lot of things for your teammates that probably put you in a bad spot with with women and money and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's great to see how he's bounced back and he's doing good for himself now. But he is a good teammate, and I consider him a good friend. And yeah, he's. He's a good dude. I love playing with Grat. And just a positive guy. Like, some guys, you know, just, you know, they worry about themselves. And even if they are good teammates, they're not. They have to worry about themselves to get through their days. But he's just a positive guy to everybody around him. Guy that made everybody feel better about themselves. For sure. And Kiefer, the keeper is coaching my brother Jim over in freaking yep. Belfast. Yeah. Oh, right? Where... He, he was a. I didn't know how to take him at all to start with. And he came in with a bandana on his head, like Randy, Randy Macho Man Savage, and was just weird and quiet and just a real different dude until you got to know him. Like, fuck, he's a really deep, nice person, but just beyond quiet. Like, you think he's not all there, but he was a really good teammate. But it took a while to figure out what the hell he was all about. And I know my brother Jim, he loved playing for him over there. Like just a fucking good guy and had great, had nothing but great success over there in Europe. And that's awesome. Really yeah, happy. He's had a hell of a run out in Belfast there. He's been there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Went there as a player and yeah, had great success there. And fuck, they did nothing but good things. Like brother Jim being there, another buddy here from Sylvan Lake, Dustin Johnner, another Western League guy there, Seattle boy. He was over there uh, for a couple of years, won a couple of cups with them over there. Like they had a hell of a time over there. That sounded like nothing but fun. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're kind of wrapping up the uh, the the tour of Vandermeer here, but uh, before yeah, I know you played with the Flames, uh, Quad City, and then in Abbotsford. Um, were you in Flames camp when Keenan was there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so. I was Iron Mike. Mike. He, he wasn't so much iron anymore. He was he was wanted to just chit chat with everybody all the time and like for years, you know, Daryl Sutter had been asking me like, "Hey, Kate, when are you going to come and look after our boys? When are you come be a player assistant? When are you going to come and you know look after our, our minor league guys?" And I was chasing that game all the time. Eh? And finally got it with Phoenix. And okay, Daryl, I'm ready to ready to come home. All right, sign you up here. Away you go, but yeah, Mike was—he was like he was nice. I always had heard all these stories and what a manipulator he was and a mind game type guy. But I talked with him lots all my time, both in the like in camp in Calgary and stuff. And he was nothing but nice and like really engaging and wanted to talk to me and hear my story and everything like that. Like I thought he was interesting as shit to talk to, but I never did play for him. I think I played one exhibition game, but that was it. I don't know. He was he was not what I expected at all, and like he was older, right? Like been yeah. to Russia and back and all that sort of stuff. So but he wasn't the same guy he was in Chicago and all that, right? But yeah, he seemed he was fine to talk to. But again, I didn't have tons of interaction with him for sure. And 
and that's you know it was kind of I thought I was still going to play for another ten years after that, but I knew that year in Quad Cities I played all eighty games. I knew that fuck it was over. You play every game, you're not getting suspended, you're not getting hurt, you're not doing something right. So I knew I was on the fucking back nine after that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, after, like I said, the amount of fights you put up and, and everything, and it's like, uh, you know, like, I mean, even that year, I mean, you know, you're, you're fighting Eric Nielsen and uh, Scott Ford a bunch of times. You end up in Houston, you're fighting John Scott. What was that like, fighting that mont- mountain? I like fighting Scotty. Way better than fighting him than Booger, that's for sure. But, like, for what, everybody matches up different again different guys, right? And I've seen Johnny Scott knock, the, knock out fucking killers that would pan me my lunch right through my ass. And I, but I like fighting him. I, he couldn't never get a real good squad on me. Like, he couldn't. For whatever reason, I was slippery enough and well, smart enough not to get hit by him too hard because he would have broke me in half. But I like fighting him because I could always tag him with a few little ones. I know, I'm sure I never hurt him with anything, but I could always make it look pretty good and Again, like, right, he's 6'8", and I'm 6'1", yeah. on a good day. And, you know, if he doesn't snap me in half, well, I'm a superhero, right? So I always look good fighting those big guys because as long as they didn't fucking pick you up and break you, break you over their knee, you look like a million bucks. And, you know, your teammates loved it, thought it was great, got your home crowd going and demoralized their home crowd and their guys if, if you could do good against those big guys. So I like fighting big john and and i'm so happy how his story turned out that is so awesome like that is so great fuck you carrie batman trying to screw him out of that that uh that all-star pick and all that sort of stuff and it's amazing how he's how he, his whole story's been it's, it's so cool absolutely well and you mentioned him there and i know you fought him a couple times as boogie how scary was Derek bugard again like i was saying earlier there like i got him when he was young and he didn't have he wasn't the boogeyman yet you know what i mean if he was he very he could have ripped my arms off and beat me to death with him for sure but i got him when he was young and i was kind of at my peak and he wasn't at his yet or nowhere near it thank god but he was spooky. I fought him and, and Johnny Erskine back-to-back one day. Yeah. And we're playing in, Min- in Minnesota. And I'm pretty sure I had a heart attack after that last fight because both of them were super long. And Oh, I, I was more scared of Johnny Erskine than, than Boogie for sure at that time. Like, Erskine was just killer lefty and super tough, super quiet, extra scary. And Actually, I played with him in, in Hershey later on after that too and he is as tough as i thought he was holy shit but but at the time boogie wasn't the boogeyman yet and i'm very glad he wasn't i escaped and can say i fought him and i'm still here to talk about it yeah yeah absolutely well in your in your last run there in the east coast league your final year you uh you wrap it up in victoria with the salmon kings i love victoria it's a nice town but uh uh, what was it like playing? I, I could imagine taking that ferry got a little old quick. Um, well, <laughs> the nice thing about the, the East Coast is that you flew everywhere. Well, that's right? true. Yeah, I, guess. Yeah, I was ever. thinking of the junior team, but yeah, I guess you would fly. Yeah, But that's where I started in Victoria way back when this conversation started at 16 and taking that ferry, going to Seattle and playing, not being missing the last ferry and sitting on the bus, guys doing homework, to flying in and out of the airport all the time there at Sanich and it, it, it was a great place to play. I was 
I had like kind of retired and I got coerced back guys there, the ownership and then the coaches offered me some money to come back and play a bunch of money under the table to come back and play. And I was retired two young kids. I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'll go back out and play. Cause I don't know what I'm going to do when I come home. And I was too old. I was too slow. I was too mean and cranky and shitty. And the game had evolved past where I could evolve. And I didn't last the whole year there because I, I couldn't play anymore because I was going to fucking kill somebody. The refs were, everybody was against me or I thought they were. And it, I just wasn't happy being out there. And I was living there by myself with the family back home. And yeah, it was just, I was done. And it was time. And, and they gave me the option, okay, you can, we're going to say you're going to go on long-term injury and we'll pay you what we owe you the rest of the year. Maybe you can help coach or you can go home and we'll just give you a big fucking bag of money and you can fuck off. <laughs> okay. I was on a ferry two hours later. So I was, I was done. Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say. Being that, going out in that way, but, but it, it was time. I was, I was 36 and, and the game had, had changed more than I could change. So it was time to come home and, go play senior hockey for 10 years and do other cool shit. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I was, no, you're it's like, you're reading my notes. I was going to say how, how bizarre it was and how you say it in hockey to right? you start your first junior camp in Victoria and you wrap up in Victoria. It was, uh, but what a ride, man. That was, uh, that was awesome. Um, and like you said, you're, you're still, I, I see, I was laughing. I didn't realize you played that much senior. But, yeah, and for those listening, senior hockey, especially the level that you were playing at in the Chinook League, that's, that's intense shit. Like, this ain't drop-in where we're just going to have a good time and whatever. Like, they take that shit serious. Uh, you're, you're oh, yeah. Chasing the Allen Cup, and which is a big senior hockey, which is like the Stanley Cup for senior hockey in Canada, for those listening that don't know. And I know I, I know you played the one year in Bentley with the Generals, which is a huge, like, they're like the... Maple Leafs are, you know, an original six team in senior hockey. And then you were at Innsfeld forever. Innsfeld? Um, yeah, Innsfeld. Yeah. Innsfeld, yeah. yeah. Hey, is that the one yeah. with the gas station way up on the hill? Is that Innsfeld? I'm trying to think. Uh, no, really. It's about 20 minutes south of Red. You're right on Highway 2. It's, uh, I don't know, there's a gas station on the hill somewhere. Uh, where am I talking about? Many yeah. hills around. Anyway, um, it, it don't matter. Yeah, but yeah, well, and like you said, how, uh, yeah, you said that senior hockey, like that, that's serious shit. Yeah, yeah, we've been to a couple Allen Cups, and like I played Bentley, and then there was a split there where Brian Sutter was coaching there, and, and a split between management and Satsi, and Satsi took all the local guys down to Innisfail, which has had a team forever sort of deal, and so me and my brother and all the local guys, like they, they fly guys in from all over the place. They know guys from BC, guys from all over Saskatchewan to play in the Chinook League sort of deal. And you know, like you say, trying to win an Allen Cup, we lost to, to Bentley slash. They moved to Lacombe. We lost. They hosted it a couple of years ago, and we lost to them in the final one year. But brother Joe's won a couple Allen Cups with Bentley, and we've been to a couple with Ennisvale and. And now with that league now too, that's AAA senior. I've gotten too old and slow for that. So I went uh, this last winter and went out to almost your neck of the woods, but out to Etonia yep. in Saskatchewan there and played in the Sass West League last year with a bunch of absolute beauty guys and had a, had a blast out there. You know, it's it's a step down from the, from the AAA level, but still pretty good hockey and lots of scraps, lots of goals, lots of fun going on. And I was going to go again this winter, but this whole COVID shut her down, so... 
but I don't know if I can be the oldest guy in every league I play in here. So it's, it's getting time to wrap her up, but, but I sure did have a lot of fun out there playing last year with those guys in Etonia. Just well, great say, people running the team and so yeah. much fun. Well, I was going to say, it's senior hockey. In fact, I think Audrey's is still playing. I think he's still fighting yeah, guys, he too. Is. Yeah. Yeah, he is, too. He is, too. So he's got a couple of years on me yet, so maybe I can suck her up for a couple more times. The, the only problem is I'm, I'm, you know, coaching or help coach three of my kids play hockey here in Alberta, too. So that was kind of my escape last winter was to, to get away every once in a while, was to go to Etonia and play hockey, drive four hours or five hours to go play hockey in, or two in Saskatchewan, and then rip back to go coach a game in Lethbridge and Medicine Hat with the, with the girls' teams and stuff like that, too. So. Well, I was, I was going to say, I've never heard anybody say they were escaping anything by going to Etonia. Well, it was for me, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun and oh, yeah. awesome people there. I, I really like it there. You know, it's, you know, other than me and a couple other donkey imports come in, it's kind of what the senior hockey is supposed to be. Hey, you know, it's your local local guys that wherever they played hockey at whatever level want to keep playing, a, you know, at a pretty decent level. You know, it's hit hockey. It's real real hockey. The emotions get up there and all that sort of stuff. But everybody's got somewhere to go watch a game on Saturday night, drink some beer, and, you know, reconnect and have the community get together in the wintertime when everybody's too busy trying to keep warm and keep the wolves away. It's kind of nice to get together and bring the community together. And that's what I, what I enjoy. And then I get to play hockey and people think I'm still kind of cool. Cause it says I got two NHL games beside my name. They say it's an ex NHL or playing on their team, even though it's not really true, but kind of is. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta, gotta sign a few of the hockey cards while you're eating your rink burger. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I got my upper deck young guns Pete Vandermeer card around here somewhere. Yeah. Oh Jesus! You better hang on to that Wayne's rookie card. Just went for one point two six. So I know maybe mine will be worth a dollar twenty six here. Well, I might send it to you to get it signed. We'll really jack the price up. I could retire early from this government gig. Yeah. Hey, before I that's awesome. I got to ask you one thing though, because I forgot to bring this up, and I didn't realize it until I scrolled all the way to the bottom of Hockey DB. We got to talk before you go. We got to talk a little RHI here. Oh yeah, the Roller yeah. Hockey League. You were a member of the Buffalo Wings. You know, twelve yeah. games. Buffalo Wings. There and you the go. Anaheim Bullfrogs too. Absolutely. Um, so way back when we were talking there, I broke my leg that first year pro. Yep. In Columbus, so that. That spring, my brothers Dan and Joe were playing for a Royal Bank Cup, right, a Centennial Cup, yep. and it was out in Summerside, PEI that year. Gerard Gallant was coaching the hometown team that was hosting, and a guy by the name of Grant Sonier, who was a GM for the Huntington Blizzard that I played against all the time in Columbus, where I'd gotten uh, in shit with Donnie Granado for buying the Wendy's burgers for all the guys because they beat us. Yep. Anyways, Grant's from Summerside as well, or somewhere around there anyways and and at that time that tournament was more it wasn't like a just a weekend long thing eh? it was we're out there for three weeks the old man scraped together a bunch of cash and flew the whole family out there so you watched brothers win a national championship so we're out there for you know a few days early and a few days later so we're out there for three weeks and the whole time i'm not doing anything uh scott gomez is playing with my brothers dan and joe in uh in surrey there Surrey or Langley, one of the two, and I hope they had a really good team there that year. 
and they lose in the final in double overtime to Gerard Glass team. But while well, the whole time's going on, I'm drinking beer and eating lobster with Grant Sonier, who's the GM of Huntington. He's actually, too, the GM for the Anaheim Bullfrogs. So the whole time, he's trying to convince me to go play roller hockey. Gets me drunk and makes me commit to go out there. I'm like, I've never been on rollerblades in my life. I grew up on a gravel road and never fucking even seen a pair of them for real. So we go down, slide, flies me down there. We get there. We all have a few beers and five guys pass out on the beach and they burn their feet so bad on the beach down in uh, Newport Beach that they can't play hockey. And these guys are regulars. So they can't get their skates on. So there's these about five of us that shouldn't have been any part of this at all. We wound up making this team and playing roller hockey in Anaheim for a couple months and just having an absolute blast fighting and playing roller hockey. We have no idea how what the hell is going on. And these guys heal up from their feet, come back, and I get traded to Buffalo. I'm not going to Buffalo. I'm going home. But I go home and I pack boards at my old man's sawmill for two weeks. Say, fuck it, I'm going to Buffalo. I'm going to play roller hockey in Buffalo for the rest of the summer and had a great time fighting and playing hockey, trying to, uh, I was rehabilitating my leg. That's what I was doing. Yeah. But it was something else. That that league, like sellout crowds in the big barns, like we're getting like sellouts in Anaheim in the pond, sold out. 18,000, 19,000 people. No idea what the hell they're cheering for. No clue. My buddy Pete Libatelier, Darren Van Imp, they're drafted by the Anaheim Ducks. Nobody in town has any idea who they are. I play one or two games there. Everybody in town knows who I am or am. I can't buy a beer. I can't buy a meal anywhere in town. It's ridiculous. And they don't know who my buddies are who are going to go play for the Ducks next year. Crazy. Yep. No, I mean, for That's a minute, crazy. for a minute, the RHI was a big deal. I mean, they were on TV, and, they, you know, Kyle Reeves just lighting the league up, and, you know, he's the Wayne Gretzky oh. of the RHI. Yeah. yeah. It was something else. I had no idea about any of it. It was huge down there in Southern California, right? And everybody, like, I was a no-namer, and I got, like, ten grand for choosing these bearings over these bearings. Guys are getting, like, 100000 bucks for using these chassis and these wheels or these bearings. Like, it was nuts. Like, yeah. guys are making, we didn't make hardly any money from the league. Like, it was all shady owners and real crooked stuff everywhere. But all the, uh, you know, all the manufacturing companies, like, for the, for, for the, for the skates were like, it was crazy the money they were paying all these guys. It was nuts. Yep. Oh, I San know. Jose, Long Beach, like, yep. all up and down the coast. It was crazy. Like, we'd fly everywhere and play a couple games, like Orlando, St. Louis, Montreal, Toronto, like, Ottawa, everywhere. Like, it was crazy. It was so much fun, and I had no idea what was happening. And I was, like, 21 years old, like, just on tour. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> had a blast. Well, like you said, there's, you know, some tough dudes. I mean, you had Gary Goulash and Lakovic playing and Sean Penn and Jutros and, of course, crazy Chad oh, yeah. Wagner. He was in there. Yeah, and everybody had tough guys, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's how they sold the whole game. Like, minors, like, the, everything that goes on in the NHL now was sold by... You know, the minor league teams and all the fighting and all the violence. And it was the same with the roller hockey. That's how they, they established all of these markets where all the American fans that didn't know anything about hockey were very uneducated, but they loved seeing the fights. They loved seeing the big hits. They loved seeing the boards bend over and rattle and crash, and they loved the fights, right? How was that's, it, how was that's it fighting how the game was played? That was the only thing. It was half-ass even similar to... The game, everything else was like basketball, but that fighting was the same as long as you didn't catch a wet spot or 
once you got going over forwards or backwards too far, you're screwed. Eh? Your wheels would just turn and you'd yep. go on your head or on your nose. But you'd, you'd brace yourself up pretty much the same. It was it was the only thing that was similar to to ice hockey. Like everything else was different. The tactics, the shoot, the puck was totally different. Everything was totally different. How you do everything was different. Fighting was the same. Fighting, fighting. There you, you go. Either can do it or you can't. Well, there we go. We'll, we'll end on the RHI high note with Pete Vandermeer. Uh, <laughs> that was that was tremendous. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you, uh, like you were saying, you you were part of the bargaining agreement there, and you were part of the the union rep there. Do you ever think that got held against you by team owners? No, not at all. Not even for uh, for a second, because we did so much stuff with that. In open negotiations, and I bullshit and talk to these guys all the time afterwards. Have beers with them, have suppers with them. We go when I go on the road. Uh, GMs and stuff would want to fucking you know stop by over here. We're gonna have a beer. We want to talk about stuff like it was nothing but nothing but positive. And through that, got to go to like all the American League owners meetings they had down in um, uh, in South Carolina every year there, like at, at Hilton Head, and got to get to know a lot of the people, got to know their families, like, you know, all the mucky mucks, like just, and actually talk to them like people, like, it did nothing but help me out. It did, never got held against me at all, like, and so many of those guys were players before too, and we weren't asking for, we're not on the NHL side of things asking for millions and zillions, we're on the, you know, minor league side of it, making sure guys had, had health insurance that they broke their fucking neck at the end of the year or their their wife had a baby a week after the end of the season just making sure they're getting looked after you know or getting a couple more bucks a day of meal money or shit like that you know they want for the most part they want to do nothing but give us all kinds of shit it was just what made financial sense right like it was it was a great experience and i i wouldn't trade that for anything i think that's as as much i got as much joy and growth out of that in person as I did playing by doing that stuff on the uh, on the union side. And I am a fucking happy union as it gets. I'm from West Central Alberta and I've never been part of anything like that at all before and you know, gotten more shit from it back home than I would ever have done that with any stuff in the hockey. But but a big uh, you know, I was a big part of that for a long time and I really enjoyed all of it and it did nothing but but grow me as a person and hopefully did a little bit of good along the way. Absolutely. Well, hey, I want to thank you for coming on this Union Guys show. Friggin' government worker <laughs> over here. Yeah, and I got, I've got the, far, I got the farmer from Alberta on here. Yeah, well, there we go. Opposites can come together, and I think we did a pretty good show today. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much for listening to my, all my horseshit, and hopefully you can uh, edit this down to something that's half coherent and makes a little bit of sense, but thank you very much. I really enjoyed being on here, and yeah, love listening to your stuff and love hearing uh, hearing the guys talk and, and talk about their journeys because they're all pretty damn neat for me to listen to anyway, so thanks oh, a lot, Darren. I appreciate I, what you do. No, and I appreciate what you do, and then same with the farming. I, I married a farmer, so... I know about, uh, I might be a city suburb guy, but I married the farm, so I know what's going on. But, uh, no, man, I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and, uh, and reaching out to me. And, uh, I know we talked, uh, privately there and, and, uh, I appreciate it that the fact that you would, uh, you know, before we even, you did this, that you, you know, you dropped me a line and said how much you appreciate the, the show and enjoyed it. And that meant a lot. And I mean, I always say, uh, 
you know, you get on Twitter and you fight with these yahoos sometimes, but I always say, if I'm getting uh, positive reinforcement from the players, I know I'm on the I know I'm on the right track. When the players are telling me I'm on the right, doing the right thing, and that's all I need to know. So, um, oh, I appreciated the fact that you uh, reached out and uh, and and said the uh, the positive words. I it was it was great. And uh, no man, like I said, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And hopefully, like I always tell people, hopefully isn't the last time. I'd love to have you on again. Yeah, you betcha. I'm always around for shooting the shit. It, it, it's honestly like it's almost like fucking therapy coming on here and just chatting and just talking about story. And I wasn't saying those nice things before chiseling trying to get on here. No, no, no. I, I do like what you're doing, and it's so cool for for me as an old dumb player to hear other dumb old players tell their stories. Like so many of them are, they're 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 interesting. I don't want to hear about how the first overall pick had such a hard life and he had to skate at the rink seven days a week at a private facility i, I want to hear these guys that come from absolutely nowhere nothing and have you know done what they've done to you know try to try to live their dream it's, i know i've i've done it and it's hard as hell and it's just neat to need to listen to other people's stories and and see how many of them are are so similar and and the and then the differences too of what guys had gone through to get what they want that's, that's pretty cool so thank no. you no, absolutely, and uh, like I said, I was—I've always been a fan of the well, shit, the, well, all of you guys, all of the Vandermeers that were rolling through the Western Hockey League. You're always, all of you were beating the shit out of everybody, and I was a huge fan of you and and Jim and and Dan and everybody. So no, so to have a chance to uh, to talk to you it was a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, certainly won't be the last time. And uh, but uh, I've taken up enough of your time. I won't keep you any longer. But uh, I really thank thank you once again for coming on. Well, thanks a lot, Darren. Appreciate it. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?